All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell was good. and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 125 in full swing, full motion. Man, do we have an awesome show for you guys. We have our guy from 810 WHB from the ship. Darren Smith will be joining us once again. It feels like he's on here every few weeks. And we ain't complaining, man, because the dude always brings it. He's always got the knowledge, and we're so grateful for him to allow us a little bit of his time on this Friday night. Man, we are so glad for all of you, for all the listeners that are out there with us that have been hanging tough through all the offseason, if you will, when it comes to the NFL, because we know what really drives everything here, man, what moves the needle. It's the NFL, man, and we've had, it seems like, a forever offseason, and we're so geared up and ready to go for this year, and we... I mean, before we know it, we're going to be sitting here, man, talking about regular season football again. And sure. we got a lot of guests lined up for you guys this year. And again, I just want to thank you guys for being here with us. First of all, man, I, I just want to—I just want to take a second and say that I am so happy and so honored to know these folks. And I just want to say to Pat Mahomes Senior and to Trisha, his now wife. I just want to say congratulations to you guys. I love you guys. I got to talk to both you guys today. And if you guys are listening to this, I just want to say thank you guys for being friends to me and being friends to this show and being big supporters. And I am so, so happy for you guys and for time. not Yeah, man. They they like to stay low profile, man. It's Facebook official now, man. You can't (laughs) escape it now. You can't run away now. Yeah, not, yeah like I said, feet. getting to talk to both of them today, man. I was just, I was just very happy for them, man. It's just great to see them uh, making some things official in their relationship. But they're great people individually, and I just, I'm very glad to have a relationship with these folks, man. I cannot wait to hang out with Arrowhead with you guys. So I just wanted to put that out there before the show starts. But let's get into some sports, man. Uh, let's let's talk some Chiefs. Is that all right with you guys? Are you guys, are you guys good with talking Chiefs? Because yeah. I, I feel like talking Chiefs. You know, we bring the Mahomes family into the equation. We might as well go ahead and talk about the Chiefs. So. You know, we, 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 and I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get the, this question out to Darren as well because I definitely want to get his thoughts on this. But I, I was thinking this week, man. I'm like, you know, there there are obvious benefits to what is 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 brought into the equation when you when you revamp an offensive line. You know that your quarterback is obviously going to play so much better or get at least a lot more time to to develop or or, or produce a, a great play. And we know that Patrick Mahomes is the best in the league at developing broken plays or having an extended period of time in the pocket. Uh, his first official season as a starter in 2018, he had a 137.5 quarterback rating when he had a clean pocket. Well, he's going to have a lot of that in 2021 and beyond. Beyond because of what the Chiefs have done this offseason by retooling and reshifting their offensive line as a whole. And so I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, we've talked about on the show about how, you know, I believe that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to benefit significantly this season. I know we don't do our prediction show yet. It's coming soon, so stay tuned for that, guys. 
But I think that Clyde Edwards Lair has a legitimate shot of leading the AFC in scrimmage yards. I truly believe that. I think he's going to have a monster season. I ain't trying to get out ahead of the, the the horse before the or the carriage in front of the horse, but I definitely think there's a strong possibility. But I was like, you know what? I don't think that that's the the guy that I'm going to look to as the one that benefits the most off of this offensive line and the and the improvements they've made. So you know what I did? I did some research, guys. Believe it or not, what? I did some. I did some digging deep, man, on, on, on this week, and, and and who I think is going to benefit off the most of this offensive line, and it's it's so ironic too because it's a guy that I think has the most to prove this this next season. That's McCole Hardman. Now I know there's a lot of negative connotations that come with Pitt McCole Hardman because he hasn't developed into a star wide receiver, and many people put that on him because of what we thought he was going to be, which was an adequate replacement for Tyree Kill. That ended up not playing out. Tyreek Hill ended up being just fine. He's been nothing short of a superstar here in Kansas City over the last three seasons. But McCole Hardman, to me, still plays a vital role in this offense. I think he's done a lot of things outside of the offense, with special teams. He's the ever gives Dan Sorensen all that credit for having that 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 fake uh, uh, punt uh, tackle against the the Texans and that comeback victory in the divisional round a couple seasons ago. But McCool Hartman was the one that actually started with that big, long kickoff return he had. Didn't take it to the house, but took it about 73 yards. And that ignited this Chiefs offense, and they scored on seven consecutive drives. you got to give McCool some credit for that. But I look at the offensive uh, benefits that McCool Hartman can bring to this team. Now, through two seasons, McCool Hartman has 10 receiving touchdowns. It's not a lot, but that's not a little. Because as I recall, that's just as many as Michael Thomas has had over the last two seasons. That's saying something. Eight of those 10 receiving touchdowns have come on throws that Mahomes has had the ball for more than two and a half seconds in the pocket. Now, if we look at that and say that's 80% of his touchdowns, you know the other two that he has of his 10 are on jet sweep plays. You know what you have to have on jet sweep plays in order to be successful? Offensive linemen that get down the field quick and block and get their man. So every single receiving touchdown that McCole Hardman has had so far in his career mm. has had to do with offensive play, offensive line play, and how well they protect Patrick Mahomes Protection. and give him an opportunity to throw downfield to McCole Hardman. If we know anything about McCole, although he has not been a great route runner to this point, mm. he has not been an effective player consistently to this point of his career. He is only 23 years old. Is going into year three, where a lot of superstar wide receivers like Chris Carter and Larry Fitzgerald really started to shine in their careers. I'm not saying McColl's ever going to be a guy like that, because more likely he won't be. That's why those guys are great, and everyone else is average or below. But what I do believe is that McColl Hardman, of all players in this offense, is going to benefit the most from the offensive decision, offensive line decisions that she's made this offseason because of the fact that his game is, is predicated significantly and almost exclusively to the protection that Patrick Mahomes has given. And we know anything about Orlando Brown Jr. and Joe Tooney on the left side. They're going to give Patrick Mahomes every opportunity in the world on his blind side to look downfield and create on broken plays. We know that Tyree Kill and that Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Lair are going to be the three first options. We know that Patrick Mahomes is going to look their way before anybody else. But you can't help but think that if you see a McCole Hardman wide open streaking down the field with his 4-2, 4-3 speed, that Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be tempted to chuck that ball downfield and make some highlight reels like we've seen in big games, no less. Yeah. We've seen the way he's played in back-to-back -back years against the Ravens, the team that everyone tried to throw out there and say, oh, look, look out for the Ravens. They're going to be the team that takes down the Chiefs or are going to compete for them for titles or the AFC title. McCole Hardman balled out in both those games. Why is that? Yeah. If you only look at those two plays, Patrick Mahomes had the ball for not only two seconds, but three-plus seconds. 
You're going to see a lot of that this season. And I know the obvious is going to be Patrick Mahomes benefiting. The obvious is going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire benefiting. I think McCole Harmons is going to be the guy that you see significant upgrades in his statistic production this season. And he's going to get a lot more respect, not only as a fan, in the fan base of Chiefs Kingdom, but across the league. You're going to see a lot more respect given to him in year three because of this very fact. Trevor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I like that call. I think as far as benefiting the most from expectations – starting from the expectation bar. I think McCall Hartman definitely has a, a ceiling, an untapped ceiling that he's really hit so, uh, because of the the you know middle tier, lower tier production from the offensive line since Patrick's been here. We haven't had a great O-line yet. We've had a good, one of the better left tackles, but he's him not being gone and not us having this completely rebooted offensive line. Maybe possibly one of the best O-lines in the league heading into this season as far as expectations go. Um yeah, McCole, the deep threats overall, even, even uh, uh, let alone Tyreek Hill, but even, you know, Demarcus Robinson too could definitely benefit from that being, you know, that he's not the best route runner. But, you know, when the play breaks down, he's been a guy that Pat's, you know, connected with on broken plays. So if a play breaks down and Pat has extra time to make plays, Demarcus Robinson could definitely be a, a, benef- a beneficiary of that as well. Um, I love the McCole call. I think the guy that still is going to benefit the most from Pat having more time is Travis Kelsey. In my mind, I still think it's Travis Kelsey. I think Travis Kelsey can go have another career year and tap and and, and top his other uh, uh, career highs. I think that's definitely within the, within the realm of possibilities uh, this season. I think Travis Kelsey is going to have an absolute monster year, um, especially if we do more two tight end sets and they got to worry about two. And the, and the linebackers got to worry about uh, uh, linebacker safety has got to worry about not only. Uh, Travis Kelsey being a threat in that middle part of the field and, and you know the curl routes and such. If they have two tight ends out there running curl routes. And Noah Gray is as good an athlete as they're saying he is. <laughs> I think Travis Kelsey is going to have it, maybe the best tight end year of all time this season. I think I'm, I'm really, really have high expectations this year for him. Um, but I mean, the passing game in general is, is just going to, you know, the expectations should be high all the way around. I mean, it could be, it could be a Tyreek year because all the, all the, the news and drama circulating Tyreek and him, people still think Tyreek has something to prove why he should have, you know, uh, restructured his contract and you know. You know, uh, do all that. I think Ty- uh, Tyreek Hill has a chip on his shoulder this year, regardless if we all think he should or not. He's proven himself. But yeah, McCole definitely uh, is the guy I think benefiting from, you know, like you said, having something to prove because none of the other guys really have anything to prove. Um, Demarcus Demarcus Robinson talked the talk and say this is his year to you know benefit the most. So he he should be a big benefit uh, uh, from this upgrade as well. But. I like the McCall call, but I'm, I'm, me personally, I think the guy that's going to have the best year out of all these guys is Travis Kelsey, and I think he's, I think he's going to top all the charts as far as tight end numbers go this year. Uh, for me, for the guy that's going to have a, a better year this year, I think Tyreek Hill is going to have a, it's going to have a better year this year. Yeah, for the simple fact that they upgraded uh, as something you're giving, you're giving Patrick Mahomes more time in the pocket, mm. giving Tyreek Hill more time to run routes and kind of break open. You know, and Patrick has the arm. Well, if you got say you got McCall on one side and Tyreek on the other side, so you're and yeah. you, if you give Patrick Mahomes time, right? I think Tyreek Hill is gonna go off this year. Yeah, and like Trevor said, Ty, Tyreek Hill is gonna play with a chip on his shoulder. That's scary, man. <laughs> he shouldn't. He shouldn't. I mean, he's proved. He's proven everything. He's a top five receiver. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, there's no need for him to prove anything else. But with him uh, not wanting to restructure that deal and all that stuff, and people are calling him out, and you know calling him shit and then all this yeah. and that. Tyreek Hill can take that personally and go out on the field and prove everybody wrong. It's like, I'm not going to restrict. I deserve this money. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm doing this. 
So I think I think Tyreek Hill is going to benefit the most out of uh, this new revamped offensive line, mm. just for the fact that you're giving him more time to get open and he knows how to get open. So. I'll, I'll make a case for both of your guys' stances on this because for Travis Kelsey, starting with you, Trevor, mm. the reason why I could agree with you is because of the fact that the benefit isn't just the production for Travis Kelsey because he has five straight 1,000-yard on seasons. Field. It's the legacy for him Oh yeah, because he's already come out and sp- spoke on – now, by the way, uh, my name is Lance, not Lancey, and it's just <laughs> like it's Kels, not Kelsey, supposedly. He's been trolling everybody. It's been great. Yeah. By the way, I've absolutely it's enjoyed Kelsey. it. It's been, it's, it is Kelsey. Let's make <laughs> yeah. it official. But it's awesome, by the way, just yeah. that he's been able to pull this off. But, I mean, he's, what, going into year nine, and he's, he's pulling this off. He's got George Kittle and, 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 and uh, uh, what's his name from the Raiders? Uh, Darren Waller. Darren Waller. Those guys are nipping at being the best time in the league too so he's got yes. that motivation to still be the guy the current and historic essence of it all oh yeah because in the current people still aren't giving travis kelsey his respect they're still putting george kittle over uh travis kelsey in this and i think it's so funny that's happening because i actually posted this uh this nice little stat today as if he wasn't balling no, with ahead. alex no, smith but, too but i think i think the people that are doing that are, are mostly the people that that see as a block like uh that see blocking as being a big part of the tight end which is funny because though, because the the, di- the tight end position as a whole is transitioning to a yes, glorified yeah. wide receiver no, yes, position but I right. think that's what the, that's the argument of the people say george Kittle yeah, is fair no minus four straight thousand yard seasons that's five five, actually five yeah, yeah excuse me which is it which is the greatest ever <laughs> the, the most, the most ever was three before five he did straight, it bro. so he's, he's almost he's almost lapped the, the record it's a record for yeah. yards in that season. travis kelsey has one fewer yard in his last 41 games then Kel- then george Kittle has yeah. his entire 53 game career Travis Kelsey has two more receiving touchdowns in his last 31 games than Kittle has in his entire 53 game Granted, career. Kittle's been hurt for damn near. That's my point. Though. Availability yeah. is everything. Yeah, yeah. Travis Kelsey is never out. George, George Kittle is amazing all the time. Yeah. Travis Kelsey has not missed a game to injury since his rookie season in 2013. Mm. So availability is everything, and production is also everything. Yeah, yeah. And Travis Kelsey has both those down. I love George Kittle. I think he's an awesome dude, awesome player. Yeah. Doesn't touch Travis Kelsey no. when it comes to that. So. But that's still an argument. People still, well, Gronk's still out there, and Darren, Darren Waller's Waller. emerging. I'm, respect yeah, all those no guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what Travis Kelsey is doing is at an historic level we've never seen in the history of the NFL at any tight end, from any tight end. Yep. And so that 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 part of it, I will give you that. I think that he has a lot to gain if he has another humongous season, another All Pro season, which yeah. we all anticipate him to have. Go ahead. No, no, it's not. It's, but the, the main thing for me is why I picked him to be the major benefit benefit of it is because. What was left on the field? There were so many. A lot of his production came from Pat not having enough time. Him finding him because their connection, obviously, they have the best connection on the field more than any two players in the Chiefs' offense. Because Pat, uh, Pat and, and Kelsey know Kelsey knows how to find the spots to to sit in. Yeah, the open parts of the field. And Pat knows how to find him on the and they had that connection. So what's going to happen when they have more time? Kelsey has more time to evade those safeties and linebackers and coverage, which you know he's going to. They only have a, a couple of seconds to really keep Kelsey from being open. So when the when you give Pat more time, more time to find him, I just think his production is going to be. I think his number is going to be stupid. I, this I would year. just say that uh, you're bringing the no, no time, uh, not having time. I think that benefited Travis Kelsey a lot more than what people might think. Why do I say that? Because with Patrick Mahomes not having the amount of time that we're thinking he's going to have this season, he was finding Travis Kelsey because of those quick throws, those quick throws, those quick throws, those quick throws. So they, and they weren't expecting. Travis Kelsey can, you know, just you know, juke you and keep going. Yeah, and that's a. If you look back at that at last season's uh, uh, his his game, a lot of them were like quick passes and then him juking and then taking it taking it for for quite a bit of yards. I think that's how he got most of his yards. I think he benefited from Pat not having enough time and 
been his escape route pretty much. That's a great point, and, and that's actually where I was going to segue to yours about making your argument for you, Eddie, is the fact that for, for Tyree Kill – there is still this belief out there, and there's been I've literally seen it on Twitter of of uh, of writers that are literally out here trying to degrade or downplay Tyreek's ability to be a full functioning wide receiver. Everyone knows that Tyreek Hill has the greatest speed, we've probably greatest burst we've ever seen from a wide receiver in the history of the NFL. But this goes back to 2016, 2017, where people were talking about him being a glorified return specialist. Jalen Ramsey said it in 2018. I mean, there's been several people that have not given him that adequate respect. And it, honestly, to your point, Eddie, this could be a season in which Tyreek Hill could diffuse some of that because if you're talking about having a season like he just had last season, the season before that, when he even dealt with injuries in 2019, to go and have another all-pro year, you're, you're putting him now into the Hall of Fame aspect. You're starting to talk about Tyreek Hill as one of the greatest receivers he's of the already, last 25 years. Path, yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to believe that a guy that can't ra- ra- run routes, like a lot of people are saying, or he doesn't have a route tree, it's kind of hard for me to imagine that a guy that was putting up – all-pro numbers with Alex Smith as his quarterback, and then went and put historic numbers with with Patrick Mahomes, that guy can't run routes. I understand that speed gives him an advantage, but we all know that there are cornerbacks and there are safeties and there are coverage men in this league that can give you fits. There are all-pro guys out there that can give you fits, even no matter how fast you are. We've seen fast guys before that can't get open. Look at, look at John Ross. They're guys that they can't get open. They look like they're open, but they're really not because they're bracketed in coverage. You can't do that to Tyreek Hill. So the speed aspect gives him that, but it's the hip movements. It's the footwork. It's the ball tracking. Yeah. Exactly. It's the clutch hands that he has. Those are things that Tyreek Hill possesses outside of the speed that we all automatically assume and give to, to his attributes. Mm-hmm. Those We know that's a part of his game, but to your point, Eddie, he has another season where he puts up 13, 14, 1,500 yards and 15, 16, 17 touchdowns. Give the man his roses, as they like to say. His numbers are identical to Antonio Brown in his first few seasons. 100%. It's, not, it's literally almost identical numbers. 100%. <laughs> Touchdowns and so, everything. So I will give you guys your arguments because they're yeah. valid. And I think that we're making a point here together in, in a collective of there are going to be a fuck ton yeah. of dudes in this offense that benefit significantly. Trevor mentioned Noah Gray. Yeah. I think he's going to be an underlying superstar. Not superstar, but underlying young stud he's, in this offense. Yeah, he's being prepped to be the Travis Kelsey replacement. And, and Cordell Powell. I, I, don't, I don't see – look, when it comes to rookies, I try to get you know bring down my my beliefs because I feel like it gets it's a little borderline – It's hard to be excited about everybody heading yeah, this year, man. It gets a little borderline hyperbolic sometimes, yeah. but I do think that there's also a pressure on Tyreek that we're not talking about as well because you guys brought up the whole restructuring aspect mm. of his, of his, of his uh, contract right now there there is a real thought out there guys that Tyreek is not going to be in Kansas City for a long term now I don't believe that I will make that clear I think Tyreek Hill is going to be here for at least another four or five years but if you see some young players on this offense like a McCall Hartman the guy I brought up if you see a Cornell Powell if you see a Noah Gray if you see these guys develop quicker than we expect that puts even more pressure on Tyreek Hill to go out there and produce because if he's trying to get paid and stay here in Kansas City because he knows his production is going to follow him no matter where he goes, but playing with Patrick Mahomes, as Devontae Adams would allude to, playing with Aaron Rodgers is ideal. You want to stick with the guy that's going to get you the ball the most, and I think if you give Tyreek Hill an extra set of motivation with young stars starting to bud, like I said about McCole Harmon in particular, that pressure only mounts more on the superstar that we assume, like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, that produce each and every year to do that continuously. Yeah, and, and, to, and to add, not even not only to just the the, the motivation uh, outside of the motivation, we all know Tyreek's going to be motivated. But I think the most important factor heading into the season with Tyreek and him 
personally and his personal development and, 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 and motivation, I think it's his focus. I think we're going to see the most focused Tyreek Hill we've seen yet. Because think about it. This is this is probably the most this is probably the most structured his his personal life has been. He just got he just got engaged, right? They're going to get married, right? Him and his girl are getting getting married. So they're about that, you know. So the, his personal life is definitely probably more structured than it's ever been. If we're being honest, yeah. he's doing that charity stuff, playing basketball for charity. Everything's looking good, and, he, and, the, and the only thing that's controversial in his personal life is that restructuring, not restructuring, you know, fan feud with him. I think he's going to be the most focused, and I think he's going to have, like you said, a, a good chip on his shoulder heading into this season. I think we're going to see the best Tyreek we've seen, man. Now I want to I want to move to the NBA because there are some pretty significant storylines that we have to address, even outside the finals. And these finals have been an absolute blast. We're going to get Darren Smith's thoughts on the finals, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on the finals as well. But I want to start with something with CP3 in particular. Now, Chris Paul has had, I would say, a – I don't want to sound – again, I don't the whole hyperbolic thing I talked about in just the last segment of this – I don't want to sound uh, knee-jerk here, but I think these playoffs have been a career definer for Chris Paul. And he's played 16 seasons, and I don't see him retiring anytime soon. I think he's going to play at least another three or four years. But I think these playoffs in particular have been an actual career definer for Chris Paul for how they've worked out. Obviously, because he's in the finals for the first time, that that aside, the performances of Chris Paul and how important said performances have been for his team both positively and and negatively. Now, I want to break this down for you guys because there's a reason why I'm bringing it up, and it's a reason why, and the biggest reason why is I'm going to tell you why I'm guaranteeing you the Suns are going to win these finals in game se- in, in seven games as I predicted before the series started. The Suns are 5-0 and in the playoffs when Chris Paul scores at least 23 points in a game. And in the series against the Bucks, in their losses, CP3 averages only 15 points per game. And in the wins, he's averaging 28 points per game. The Suns are 8-2 and two at home and are 6-4 and four on the road. Still very respectable on the road to have a winning record, sure. But I think we all can agree that the Suns have not only been a better team at home, which is obviously expected, especially for a team that has made, that has made it this far, but for CB3 has clearly been a deciding factor in how games end based upon his numbers. And as ironic as it is, as unpredictable as these playoffs have been as a whole, I think these finals are very predictable. The reason why I picked the Suns in seven games is because of the home crowd, their energy, and how well this team, and CB3 in particular, responds to the to both in, in going to the ultimate deciding factor. But that's not a knock on what the Bucks have done or will do. Because I think no matter what and how this series ends, whether the Bucks win or the Suns win, I think Giannis should win finals MVP. I think he has been by far the best player in this series. I think they need to get rid of that, that bullshit stigma or that bullshit rhetoric of, well, if you don't win, you can't win finals MVP. We've seen Jerry West back in 40, 50, 60 years ago. We saw LeBron James do it several times over in losing efforts. Be the best player, the most valuable player, and they don't get it. I think Giannis should win it by far. But... Chris Paul's value is a true testament to how well this Suns team plays. Like I said, he's literally scoring half as many points in losses and then doubling his points in wins. So this team, as much of a superstar I think Devin Booker is, as this team is currently constructed, they go as Chris Paul goes. You've seen it time and time again. They don't win games where he's bad. They just don't. They only win games when he is on his game. Now, he has not looked good in the last two games. Neither has Devin Booker. So, obviously, the Bucs are going to roll because they deserve to be where they're at. The Bucs have capitalized on all, their missed, all the missed opportunities of their opposition, like the Nets. 
So they deserve to be here. But the Suns are here because of the fact they added from an 8-0 bubble team, they added a super, a, a, a surefire Hall of Fame point guard to the equation. This is why I was so big on the Suns from the beginning of the season. I said they are going to be in the Western Conference Finals. Mm. I believed in this team, and now we see why. They have young they have young studs where the moment's not too big. How does that happen? You have a combination of a well, well-designed uh, head coach in Monty Williams, who is one of the best, if not the best, head coach currently in the game today. And then you have a coach on the court like CP3. Now, to, d- to dive into this, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, and we're going to extend this, this, first, this first segment. At the same time, I think the Suns have peaked. I know that sounds crazy because Devin Booker is a 24, 25-year-old superstar in the making. DeAndre Ayton is a solidified center in this league at this point, only 22 years old. Campaign's one of the best players off the bench in the league at this current time. They have all these young players that I think you continue to build around, and I think they will do that. But I think as this era currently stands, it's going to be a lot more short-lived than a lot of people believe because of these very same factors. I think as long as Chris Paul is on this Suns team, now he does have the player option, and he can choose to go in and get over $45 million next season, which I don't think. I think he's going to get a long-term deal from the Knicks. I think the Knicks are going to pay Chris Paul a lot of money this offseason. He's going to opt out and get himself a long-term deal because at his age, that is what you want. You want assurances as you get older. And I think that's Chris Paul's. Chris Paul's going to get damn near $100 million in the next deal because yeah. I think they win these finals. And I think he's going to solidify it as a superhero in Phoenix, where they've been dying. That's their original original franchise, pro franchise in Phoenix, is that team. They have been dying for a winner, and Chris Paul can provide that. But you have to to get away from the romanticizing of it all, because this is as good as it's going to get with Chris Paul. And I think if I'm the Suns, I'm hoping, I'm praying, if you're a religious person, that Chris Paul does not opt in. Because I don't think it's going to be any better than it is right now. What their focus needs to be after winning these finals, which I believe they're going to do in seven games with that home home court advantage, is I think they're going to move on and build a team around Devin Booker, which they absolutely can. Because if you look at the free agents and if you look at trade assets that are out there, you can 100% do that with a number of scenarios that they can go in. I think their worst decision is to fool themselves into thinking that this Chris Paul era can extend further because it will not. I think this is a perfect storm because of the fact, as I talked to uh, Freddie Coleman on Darren's show, this last Sunday from ESPN, I asked him this very question. Do you think that this type of parity is going to continue in the league where you see teams unpredictably going into the finals like the Rockets did in the mid two thousand or the mid-90s when the Bulls bowed out with Michael Jordan retiring? Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's going to go back to the superstars like LeBron James's and Steph Curry's and the Kawhi Leonard's, guys like that? It's going to go back to them. He said 100% definitively it's going to go back to them. So the Suns have to capitalize like they are right now. Mm-hmm. But you are fooling yourself if you think the Suns can set again in the finals as currently constructed. What are your thoughts, Trevor? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely uh, I, I definitely think that you're right on the Chris Paul thing. I think win or lose, I think he's gone. Uh, I don't think it's the right move for the Suns to keep him around. I think I definitely think uh, Phoenix is a great – because I haven't bought into I haven't bought into Phoenix as a, as a team that's going to be here often yet. I think they have – like you said, they, they, they're peaking right now. This has been an amazing run. With the plethora of injuries across the league in the playoffs, I think they benefited from that as well. I think the entire, I think this this is why we have a, a, such a, a random finals here. To be honest, um, it's not necessarily random because there's a lot of star talent here still, but no one really predicted these two teams like you you alluded to. But um, as far as Chris Paul, I, th- I think Phoenix is a great position or a great destination for uh, Ben Simmons as well. I think Ben Simmons could definitely be a guy they would target if Chris Paul exits because they would have money. They can they can still acquire Ben Simmons, and I think that would be one of the best outside of like maybe Golden State, one of the best spots for Ben Simmons to land. He could be 
the primary defender and facilitator for that, that offense. That's already good. And they keep DeAndre Ayton in place. I think that's a great transition from point guard to a point guard, uh, ball dominant point guard uh, from those two guys. So, but I mean, yeah, as far as the series goes, I, I, I don't know, man. This is, we've seen four games total so far. The Suns look great in the first two. And then the Bucks, obviously, the, the last game obviously was really, really close, but the Bucks absolutely destroyed, had the most dominant win of the entire series in game three. And they're a great home team. Milwaukee is a, a good fan base, good crowd. That was loud as hell last game. That was really, it was felt like I was watching like a KU game. It was really enter, uh, entertaining, uh, an intense game. Uh, so I don't know, man. This series could definitely go either way for me. I think if Giannis continues to do what he's doing and dominating both sides of the court, I think this entire series, the entire series hinges on Chris Middleton. Because we've seen the the differences because he's been inconsistent. Like uh, with Darren, like we'll, we'll get there. But like, I do think that Chris Middleton, if he's on when he's hot, he is hot. He's one of the best scorers in the league, especially in the mid range area when he's hot. He's I mean he's already had a couple forty point games. So him going toe to toe with Booker and Giannis is doing what he's doing, and, and Chris Middleton is you know hitting his shots. That's tough to defend, man, because the the Bucks already have a, a great defense. Right, and I think they, I think Giannis has been playing very good defense on De, on DeAndre Ayton as well. I just think they're not a slow good because a lot of good defensive teams tend to be slow and they want to play half court. But the Bucks always also can move, man, and they can score in bunches too. Like I said, if Chris Middleton's hot, because uh, they haven't had many other contributors outside of Giannis and, and Chris Middleton, it's really just been them too. The Suns have a lot of good shooters all the way around the perimeter. So I think I think I think the Suns score in different ways, and if Chris Middleton continues to can can ride that hot that heat he's on right now, I think I think the Bucks take this series. Uh, Chris Paul, I, I think he uh, I think he is also gone out of uh, out of Phoenix. I, I don't think that would be the the best move, their the best interest for the team. Uh, he's an aging veteran. Uh, I, I feel like another team can can benefit from his presence from his from his game. Uh, but I think if the Suns want to continue growing and you know, let's say they win the championship this uh, this uh, finals, uh, they're gonna want to you know back that up and say, hey, we're we're the best of we're the best uh, in the NBA for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I, I I see them uh, rebuilding. Uh, ben Simmons would be a great addition. To- Lonzo Ball as well, I think is an option. Ooh, Lonzo- yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Ben Simmons would be a great addition to this to this. That could very teams. well happen. Yes. Uh, if he improves his shooting skills, I... <laughs> I don't think he would have to though. They have good shooters around him. You know, they have Crowder. Ahead he has. Of him. He, he he did get better yeah. shooting. They got, and, uh, they got other guys. Yeah. His defense. They they could really that use would his be defense. Huge. Yeah. That, that would be huge for for the Suns. Uh, as to this, uh, as to how this series goes, I do see the 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 Suns pulling it off, but I do see a seven game series. Uh, it's been close. Uh, other than Game Three, I think this has been a, a really fun series to watch. It's been really close. Uh, all four games could. Uh, Three out of the four could you can pick either or. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could have went to either or. Uh, I, I agree with Trevor. I think uh, Middleton is the the key piece here for the Bucks. If he goes out there and plays how how he's played in this last two games, mm-hmm. I can see the Bucks. You know, winning it in uh, in Arizona and then going back to Milwaukee, winning uh, Game Six if he plays the way he's been playing. Uh, but but to that. He's so uh, he's a very inconsistent player. Uh, that's that's something that's gonna follow him everywhere. So we'll see what uh, what Game Five uh, brings for him. Uh, obviously, Giannis he's been fucking balling. He's probably gonna be yeah. the best player in this whole uh, series. Uh, he's been killing it, regardless of where he's at. He's been he's been dominating. Uh, 
Devin Booker has been shaky. Uh, obviously, he just came off uh, 40 points, I believe, or 40, 42. 42, yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's a little boost of motivation going to, going to, uh, to Arizona, uh, you know, trying to pull that off. Uh, Chris Paul has been playing – been playing good basketball. Uh, Aiden's been playing good basketball. So their role players are also playing good basketball, which is what the Suns really need at this point. They just they need they need them to to be consistent. That's what that's what the Suns are gonna have to uh, are gonna need and rely on. What two and what two of the last three games potentially? If we have three games, two of the last three will be in Phoenix. And the Phoenix, like I said, has only game lost two games yeah. in the playoffs at home, and one of those was way back in the first round against the Lakers in Game Two. Yeah. So, look, and, and and here's the thing: I had an interesting theory as well, and it's going to segue into the last uh, portion of the segment that I want to bring up is the potential uh, of Chris Paul doing a sign and trade uh, with the Suns. I have not heard this from anywhere else, but it just it kind of just came to my mind, and I wanted to kind of throw it out there real quick before we segue the opportunity. Because we know that the, the, the Philadelphia 76ers are, are really trying to move on from Ben Simmons. Trevor, you brought up Ben Simmons with the Phoenix Suns and how well he would fit, which I do agree with, yeah. uh, with all their shooting ability and the way that they play. What if Chris Paul decided to opt in, the Suns extend him, then trade him with other maybe another piece or two to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons – and that way, Philadelphia gets the type of white, the the type of cor- uh, cornerback, Both the type win. of point guard yeah. they could get with Joel Embiid for at least another Better year or two. Point guard. Yeah, Clutch. and then that, that's an opportunity. But see, the reason why I don't think that's going to happen is because I believe that Philadelphia feels really op- really opportunistic and very confident in their ability of getting one Damian Lillard. Now, the reason why I bring up Damian Lillard, that's where I want to segue, yeah. is because of the news that came out today. We're going to get Darren's thoughts on this in segment three. But I want to give you guys my thoughts on this. Now, I want to play the audio of what happened. But when we woke up this morning, the news broke out. I don't remember the reporter's name. I wish I could give him credit. But it was somebody from the Oregon, the Oregonian, uh, Oregonian or whatever it's called out there in, in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Oregano. Yeah. The Oreganos, yeah. They, they, there was a report that came out say, stating that Damian Lillard is going to formally request a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. And that blew up because everyone knows that Damian Lillard has been Mr. Loyal and Mr. You know, go, go Blazers. He's like the Russell Wilson of the NBA where he is just dedicated and loyal. And the automatic assumption was that Damian Lillard was going to come and shoot it down. He was going to you know play it as if it did not happen. And then after practice today with the U.S. Olympics team, Damian Lillard did just that. And I'm going to play the audio for you in case you haven't heard it yet. I woke up to those reports from a lot of people <laughs> reaching out to me. Um, but it's, it's not true. You know, I, I'll start off off the rip and say it's not true. I said the last time I spoke to you guys that a lot of things are being said and, you know, it, it hasn't come from me. So, uh, number one, is it's not true. Um, and secondly, it, I'll also say that I, I haven't made any firm decision on, you know, what my future will be. So... Uh, there's really no need for uh, anybody else to to speak for me or report this or report that. You know, if it's something to be said, as I said the last time, I'll I'll speak directly with with my team and with Neil. So, you know, that's that. Damian Lillard is 100% getting traded, yeah. and the reason why is because of everything he tried not to say. What have we known about Damian Lillard? for the first nine years of his NBA career. 
He has been loyal, dedicated. He's been hesitant to join the quote-unquote super team. He's wanted to win in Portland, and he has given them everything he possibly could. And it hasn't been enough because free agents don't want to go to Portland, and Portland has not built him a good enough team to win in the West, no less. If you listen to the middle of that comment from Damian Lillard, it told you everything you needed to know. He said, I have not made a firm stance or a firm decision on anything when it comes to his future. If Damian Lillard wanted to stay in Portland, why would he not continue to say everything he has said for the previous nine seasons about, I am a Portland Trailblazer, I'm dedicated here, I want to win here, because that is all he's ever said before. If he was genuinely of that belief still, and these reports are not true, why hasn't he said that, and why did he continue to play into the speculation of this all? So that is why this is happening. I think the only reason why Damian Lillard is truly upset is because he's such a classy guy, and he is such a well-thought-out guy. He wanted the initial report of it being true to be from him. He wanted to be the one that stated, it's time, thank you, Portland, for everything, yada, 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 all the, all the classy words that he would genuinely believe as he articulates it. He wanted to be the one. He wanted to be the one that broke that news. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. Somebody was out there, an opportunist, an opportunist, somebody that was probably in the camp of Damian Lillard that got word and ended up you know, exposing themselves, who are never going to get a single word or a story out of Damian Lillard for the rest of his career, broke that. Because I listened to Chris Haynes on Dan Patrick's show this morning, and Chris Haynes was doing everything in his power. And if you know Chris Haynes, one of the best reporters in the NBA, but is also a part of Damian Lillard's. He danced around all the questions Dan had. And if you know anything about DP, Dan Patrick, he is the best interview in the entire world when it comes to sports media. And he and he was he was getting Chris on a few things, and Chris hung tough. But you could tell that there is some serious news that is coming out from Damian Lillard's camp that he didn't want out yet. Guys, I'm telling you right now, mark the word, mark my words down. Damian Lillard has played his last game as a Portland Trailblazer. Yeah, no, and if you notice too, when he, in that interview, when he, he followed up when he was when he said that uh, it's not true, uh, if I was going to come out and say it, blah blah blah, I come out and say it my, myself. He followed that up with you know, pretty much saying that he's not committed either way. So that like I 100% agree with you that that's he he's not his stance is not he's in a 50-50. He's in purgatory right now. So that that what that. We all know this is this is nothing new. A report comes out because someone, and the agent has the agent is the, the 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 mouthpiece for these players. It's the same thing with Russell Wilson, right? It's it's covertly, and we all know too that this with social media age, nothing is so hard to keep things under under wraps and keep things low key nowadays because of social media, because of things you know word of mouth and even if it even if it is false like good luck keeping the false rumors under wraps let alone the true ones so this is a covert a covert way of the the agent getting out there and saying it because it's dane didn't necessarily have to come out and say it himself the agent could say it so that way dane can say i didn't say that because he didn't but his agent saying that and he's speaking for dame so it's a it's a it's a it's a roundabout way to covertly put the the bait out there for these teams. And we all know that there's chatter behind the behind closed doors between all these these the owners of these teams and, and the, the GMs and everyone knows who's available. Everyone knows because that's how moves are made. That's how like, oh, surprise moves. You know, he's going here, he's going here because these conversations go on for a long time before we actually know about it. So it's very covert. It is what it is. We've seen this so many times before. You know, very, very rare do you see a player come out and tell you where he's going. 
One of the only few times is when LeBron James chose to go to, to Miami. That doesn't happen very often. That's why that was such a shocking moment in sports history because that just doesn't happen. Kevin Durant to the Warriors as well. Right, yeah, that exactly. Was the, yeah. They're very few far between. Yeah, those yeah. are very strong personalities right. that come out and do that. Dame's not really been that good. Dame doesn't like the spotlight as much as people think, I don't think. He's a very recluse guy for good reason. I mean, and that's why Portland obviously has fit him for so long because it, it's kind of his vibe. That's kind of it fits him very well, even though he's a West Coast guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been I called this before the season even ended. I think I I think the Portland's going to blow it up, especially they fire the coach. They didn't get Jay Kidd over there like he wanted to. He voiced his opinion. Personally, came out and voiced he wanted his head coach, and they couldn't get it done. Right? If you don't get those moves done, then he very rarely voices what he wants from that franchise. They couldn't get it done. Jay Kidd didn't want to go coach him. I think Jay Kidd knew that there was a good chance Dame was out anyways. So I think that's another reason why he chose. I mean, granted, he has ties to Dallas, and, and Luke is a, obviously a budding superstar that's becoming something special there. So I think that that's obviously a good way to sway someone to become a coach somewhere. But yeah, I, I fully agree that Damien's gone. I've been feeling that way for a while now. I thought he should have left a long time ago. Granted, they did the best they could. They've, they've, they've got some good talent over there. You know, McCollum's a solid player. I think they're going to blow it up. McCollum's going to go somewhere. Dame's going to go somewhere. Both those guys are going to contribute to possibly contending teams. And I, I hope I just hope Dame makes the right decision. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, Eddie, you said something before the show. Yeah. You said that he, you think Damien felt guilty. Let's go ahead and yeah. add on to that. I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he uh, meant for that report to come out or anything like that. And I, I think uh, the way the fans reacted and, uh, you know, against them and stuff like yeah. that, he kind of felt like he's probably doing doing the city of Portland dirty, you know what I mean? And that kind of – in that kind of way, yeah. I don't. Th- this reminds me like the the Aaron Rodgers uh, whole fiasco in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. We we heard reports of him uh, wanting wanting out of Green Bay, but yeah, we don't we don't know like how bad the situation I guess is with Damian Lillard. We don't know if he really wants out of Portland, you know. Uh, so this whole situation, I don't. I don't know how to come about it, but I don't think he's gonna leave. I think he does feel feel guilty in, in a way. Um, so we'll see how how this whole thing plays out. Let me let me ask you: What is it though that you think that he feels guilty about? Because the only way I feel that someone would feel guilty is if they feel like they haven't done enough or they did the franchise or the fan base wrong. What is it you think? Because according to your theory, you think he feels guilty. What do you think he feels guilty about? Well, because uh, he's been that kind of player that he's. Made it well known that he's all about Portland, all about the city of Portland, all about the uh, the, the 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 team, the, the Trailblazers. He's all he's all about that, and everybody speculated that he was going to retire in, in, as a Trailblazer. Mm. And I feel like him not achieving uh, or giving that city of Portland a, a championship, and kind of like you know, and probably in his mind when the whole situation came about this morning was kind of like, damn, like. I really want to want to leave this and kind of be like, remember, kind of like KD left OKC because he couldn't win a championship and join a team that the won a championship. I'm gonna say this, dude. Like, I, this Dame is way overachieved in Portland in his career. Yeah. He was not drafted to Portland to be some superstar. He became something special. This is not like LeBron James situation where he didn't fulfill his promise until he came back and actually fulfilled his promise that he made, that he was drafted to become the guy to lead Cleveland to the promised land. Eventually he did. But Dame has every right to say, fuck you to Portland, get out of there. 
They drafted him. He became something more than they even expected by a, a large margin. The best part about that is, is that I don't think it's as nasty as it, it, that that possible scenario where he yeah. can say "fuck you." To no, no, I'm just saying he has think, every right to. Yeah, yeah. I He's think, I, his best. I think it's been all class between them. I think it'll continue to be, and I think Portland now realizes because also, according to what I'm seeing in reports, the owners of Portland are trying to sell the team. So there's a lot of influx with that franchise. I think so, we all smell it. Yes, I think Portland's it's there. just going to blow again, it all up. And again, this is where I come back to the idea that I think Damien's just mad that it came out the way it did. Not that it came out, but the way it did. It wasn't him that got to maybe say Maybe he it. is that kind of guy. He wants to be the he one to say to be, it. I think he maybe, does. Maybe I think yeah. he wanted to be the one that made yeah. it a, like a dedicated article yeah. where it came, it's released. You know, uh, Woj, Damien Lillard officially yeah. requests a retreat. He's saying thank you to Portland. I've done everything I could. We accomplished great things. That all makes this other sense. stuff. Yeah. I think that's what's happening. I think that's really what it is. And Eddie, you brought up the Aaron Rodgers aspect of this. I agree with you. I actually think it's very parallel to what Aaron Rodgers has done. And they've handled it the same way. The only difference is the interpretation of the franchise. The franchises are handling it differently. I think Portland is going to do right by Damian Lillard. And in the NBA, it's a little bit different because even when you're under contract. Yeah, there's no bad blood. Even even when you're under contract in the NBA, you're really not because players in the NBA have such control. They can literally tell a franchise, trade me and I want to go here. More times than not, it does happen. In the NFL, it's much different, especially for superstar players in the, at Aaron Rodgers' level. Yeah. You're not just going to be like, okay, Aaron, whatever you want. The Packers should be handling it like the Blazers because it would go much more smoothly for them and their future building around Jordan Love, who they had to just draft in the first round while having Aaron Rodgers. So I agree with you, Eddie, but I think you're actually making my point by bringing that up because I think that is actually why Damian doesn't feel guilty, just like Aaron Rodgers doesn't feel guilty because they know they've left it out on the floor and out on the court all these years and giving these teams, franchises, and cities everything they possibly could to win as much as they can. And just like Aaron Rodgers, Damian Lillard hasn't had much success. Rodgers does have a Super Bowl, but he's only been to one. And as great as he has, as great as Favre was all those years, 32 years combined of having Rodgers and Favre, you've been to three total Super Bowls? That's unacceptable. Just like it's unacceptable, to Trevor's point, that you had a guy that no one expected out of Weber State to come in there and do what he's done, Damian Lillard, that is, go in there and become a Hall of Fame player, one of the 10, 15 best players of the last 20 years. No one expected that. And he went out there and did what he has done and led that team further than they ever should have gone. Yeah. And it made them an overrated franchise, if we're being honest here. Yeah. He has nothing left to prove there. And he needs, he deserves an opportunity to win a title. So I understand his reluctancy of joining a superstar team, a super team. That's what's going to take in order for him to win because super teams are a thing, not of the past. It is a thing of the current and a thing of the future in the NBA. He needs to get along with, and I think that's what's going to happen. And I think I think Philadelphia is a very a great strong possibility, and I think that's dangerous. I think that I think that might end up being well, the especially team he goes with the Nets, to. And especially the Nets. You know, getting healthy and coming back next year. I think if he goes to Philly, I don't know who's the best team in the East. That's a dangerous. I do. I do. Yeah. Maybe Zyber M. Night Shyamalan was raised. <laughs> so I'm going to take a quick break, guys, because we need to get to the Eddie Hour. We got so much to get to, man. We got the Eddie Hour. We got to get to Darren. We got to get to you guys in the mailbag. We got to hand out some motherfucking L's. We got a great show for you guys. Stay tuned. We just getting started. We'll get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge. 
Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? And Eddie Ortiz. Speaking of Eddie Ortiz, it is the Eddie Hour. Eddie Ortiz, what is in the Eddie Hour this week, my man? All right, man, I want to get your reactions to uh, this past weekend we had uh, UFC. So I want to get your thoughts on, on all the fights and then, obviously, the main event. So... Overall, this is a very entertaining card. I'm going to be real with you guys. I I think this one did it in for me. I'm probably never going to buy another UFC card. I'm probably just going to legally stream it. I'm just going to go ahead and put that on Front Street right now. (laughs) Because of the fact that this main event was so anticlimactic. Let me first of all say that Sugar Shane O'Malley is an absolute superstar, a phenom in the UFC rankings. He's never truly lost a match. And I would really like to see him start headlining some main events. But the main event of this fight as a whole, and I, and, and I, again, I want to backtrack again. The, the the man that fought Sugar Shane O'Malley on short notice, Motino, I think it was his last name, um, has a chin of a god. I mean, this guy took an absolute beating. I think that I think Shane O'Malley had the greatest strike percentage and most strikes landed in the history of a UFC fight. He's so only, he's only fifteen fights in too, and, and, fourteen and, and one. Yeah, and this guy just kept coming at Shane O'Malley, made him fight the distance, and Shane finishes fools left and right. Yeah. And this dude fought him on short notice and took an absolute beating. I wish they would have let him finish the fight, but I get why Herb did what he did because he was he was starting to get his ass absolutely beat. But he got Shane O'Malley and the entire UFC as a whole's respect. I expect this guy to get at least a couple more fights in the UFC ranks. But Shane O'Malley again showed his superstardom, and I think he needs to start getting uh, top billing in main events. But in, as far as the main event of this fight, look, as I told you, I've been telling you for months and months, Poirier is the better fighter between him and McGregor. He was beating McGregor's ass, and then McGregor snapped his leg, and I do believe it was on the check earlier in the fight, a couple minutes before he inevitably did uh, break his patella and tibia bone. I'm sorry, patella, uh, fibia and uh, uh, tibia bone uh, in his leg. It sucks that it ended that way. I, it really sucks. Not just because it was the main event, but because of the buildup, because of the expectation and anticipation between these two fighters, the third and final fight, which I do believe it will be the final fight between these two. And the reason why is because I believe McGregor is done as a title contender. I think he's always going to be a mouthpiece no matter how long he fights at the UFC level. I do believe Dana White's always going to give him an opportunity to fight. But I think it's going to be more of the Nate Diaz number three type of fights. I think you're going to see more super fight styles, Masvidal potentially, guys that you know are going to draw crowds. Nate Diaz has an insane following. Jorge Masvidal has an insane following. McGregor is the most polarizing figure in UFC history. I think those are the type of fights you see, just big-time cash prizes, no titles involved. I think those are the types of fights you're going to see McGregor. And Poirier is going to get an opportunity to be a, a true champion at his at his uh, light lightweight division, and I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to go in separate directions. But I do not anticipate, no matter how much McGregor wants a second fight, or the fourth fight, rather, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Dana White's going to move them in opposite directions and move forward as McGregor just being a mouthpiece that fights big names, not for big titles. Yeah, I didn't get to catch all of the fights. And the one, the main one outside of the main event I wanted to catch was the O'Malley fight. But I heard and I watched all the highlights. O'Malley is just an absolute beast, man. That guy, he's definitely becoming one of my favorite fighters to watch. Um, love the kid. I love his style. He's a dominant striker, man. The kid has hands. Um, so I'm, I'm glad he obviously won in dominant fashion. Uh, but yeah, kudos to the kid. Kudos to uh, Mountain Ho Mount- Motino. Mount- I think it's Motino. Motino. Yeah. I don't, uh, but yeah, 
thing. And the kid took all the punches. And like he came out and said, life-changing money. The kid made about 70K. Mm-hmm. Life-changing money for a guy that pretty much off the streets. It didn't have much rep at all. So to go on there and fight a, a, a guy, an up-and-coming great fighter right now in O'Malley is huge for him. So he got some good exposure as well. Maybe have his chance to, you know – make a bigger bag than that and maybe you know find some other fights later on in the, in the in the you know soon future or whatever but um yeah i mean greg hardy got his ass knocked out he I, we thought he was gonna knock out the other guy uh uh tui's tui's tui vasa or whatever mm-hmm. his last name is so we thought we we're gonna he had him shook for a minute and then the guy countered it and knocked greg hardy out that was a, mm-hmm. a very fast entertaining slugfest there for a second um greg hardy i think we'll see him again soon uh the guy's definitely gonna he has that ability to, you know, have those entertaining big um, haymaker type heavyweight fights. Those are always fun to watch. Um, the Gilbert Burns fight wasn't the most impressive one. It was, you know, but it went to decision. They went to distance. It was kind of a boring fight overall. But then, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, Irene Aldana, she she got her her uh, TKO there, which is a good win for her. She's on, she's on a very dominant path right now. So kudos for her as well. And then obviously, yeah, the main event, man. Um, yeah, we talked last week about it, man. I, I picked McGregor. Um, I liked his his poise for the most part going into this fight. Um, I have all of the respect in the world for Dustin Poirier. I do not dislike the guy at all. Just when it comes down to this matchup, I really, really, really wanted to see McGregor win this, the tiebreaker. I honestly, and I'll be. I, I love I love Poirier. I love his style. I love his swagger about him. It's like extremely dude oozes confidence in an entirely different way than McGregor does. Both very, very arrogant, confident guys. But in two totally different ways. Poirier is a little more stoic about it. He has a mouthpiece, but he's a little more stoic with it, right? I respect the hell out of him. He's definitely a great striker, great fighter. He was winning that match. Uh, and, and who knows what would happen if the fight continued? And that round was about the, the, uh, McGregor broke his leg right towards the end of that round, right? And it's just very unfortunate. McGregor did come out, um, regardless if you want to buy it or not, he did come out and talk about, uh, he's just recently the other day talking about um, he had stress fractures and Dana White knew it. Everyone knew that he had stress fractures in his leg heading into that fight. That makes a lot of sense, seeing that his leg broke fairly easy. Even on a, there was no like shin to shin check. We've seen obviously Anderson Silva and uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, um they both Chris have, Weidman. yeah, Chris Weidman. They they both have broken their legs on on you know high knee or low knee uh, high shin checks. That's common. That not common, but that that is the most likely way to break your leg on a check. They're saying that he broke his leg on the check on Poye's like hip, which is very that 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 would take either a, an excessive amount of force to do that or just a freak thing. And the, yeah. I I kind of am buying the stress fractures that that was. I don't think McGregor McGregor's never he's been a lot of things, but he's never been a liar. McGregor's never straight up lied about something, and I don't think he's lying. I, I think, think he lied when he said Poirier's wife was in his me DMs. I don't know. I don't know about that, so I don't know. Um, I'm sure that was obviously a, 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 a who knows, man. I'm not going to act like McGregor doesn't have clout. So either way, Poirier has clout just as much. So um, yeah, man. Look, kudos to Poirier. Uh, it wasn't a true win in my mind. It was just a freak thing, and I was very, very upset in the moment when that happened. I did not want to see the fight go out like that. I was very upset that McGregor lost that way. I think Poirier was frustrated that it went that way of, too. Of course, I think he really wanted of course. to. Of course, Poirier was on you know on the path to win that fight. He was, he was winning open. that fight. Granted, it was one round, um, and McGregor had had an entire fight left to go. So I mean, it, it's just no one wants to see a superstar and in, a, in, a, in a, one of the biggest fights in the last decade uh, go down like that, right? No one wants to see injuries like that, regardless if you like or dislike the fighter. It's unfortunate, and I was very, very upset. And you know, kudos to Poirier; he's a great fighter. I, I, I'm going to be rooting for him on his on his path to becoming a champion. So, 
right. Um, earlier this week, it was announced that uh, Nick Diaz is returning to the UFC oh. in September uh, to fight uh, to fight uh, Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Uh, I think 17 years after their first fight. <laughs> so UFC 47, if I'm not mistaken, to UFC 267. I think that's what they're fighting. So. Isn't it ironic to you guys? No, isn't it ironic to you guys that weeks after, not even weeks, but we a week after. Oh yeah, it's been a couple weeks. The Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, is putting an end to banning uh, marijuana use. (laughs) Both not one, but both Diaz brothers are back because Nate took a couple years off as well, and now Nick, the older brother, is back from I think a seven year hiatus with yeah, UFC. It's been least. a long time. It's like six, seven years yeah. um, that he's back. I love it because the Diaz brothers are just so great for this sport. They're Lawler's so, still a big name. Lawler is a big big name. I, on, the, on the Knicks side of things, it's just so cool to see the full circle uh, portion of this happen because, like I said, he had such a, such bad blood with uh, Dana White, and I, I fully anticipate he still does. Mm. But to see the business in kind of overlap that, which is always great to see. Um, Nate Diaz, Nate Nick Diaz have such a great following. I think it's awesome for the sport overall, just for the brand of it, to have these two bad boy rebel brothers back in the league like this, back in the octagon again. I think it's awesome. I am, I'm I think Robbie Lawler is going to knock him out though, because mm. look, Nate, Nick has a granite chin. He's an unbelievable fighter. He has great BJJ background. He if he gets Rob, Robbie Lawler to the ground, he's yeah. going to beat him. But Robbie Lawler has the fists of Goliath, and I'm telling you, man, I think this dude. He catches hold of a rusty, out of sorts, out of out of the octagon for a long period of time type of Nick Diaz. I think he's going to catch him. I think he's going to knock him out. I think he's going to TKO him or knock him out. Robbie Lawler is just one of those types of fighters, man. He catches you with a couple nice fists. It's you're you're, you're in daydreaming after that, man. So I think that's what's going to happen. I think Nick Diaz is going to go down, but I don't think that'll be his last fight. I think he'll fight again, and I always enjoy seeing the Diaz brothers on a card. Yeah, I was at high school when these guys were fighting, man. <laughs> so like, this is a cool nostalgic name wise kind of bring back. Uh, historical matchup like this this rematch here is is, is I'm stoked about it. I, I mean I know it's a bunch of a couple old head guys that have been around, but I think I don't even think Diaz. I don't even think Nick's gonna try to get him to the ground because I don't think he's gonna want to at this point of his career. I think I'm saying if it does, though, no, he'll, no, he'll I, think win. I think both these guys are gonna want to go out there and just throw hands. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be entertaining as fuck. They might have man. an under like underground agreement yeah, on these this. These Diaz boys never never they never disappoint. These guys are always entertaining. Whether it's the trash talk, the taunting mid fight. The blood, the the, the the swelling, they're always going to go out there and, and just have a bar fight. That's what that's what makes these guys so fun to watch, man. They, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit if you hit them in the teeth, they're going to hit you right back in yours. So, And Robbie Lawler is the same type of guy. Robbie Lawler is one of the better strikers we've seen in a while over this past couple decades. I mean, the guy's had a lot of knockouts under his belt. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think somebody's got to knock somebody out. It just depends on who catches who at the right moment. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's a Obviously, an old school feud between these two guys. They fought before, so this is a uh, yeah. I'm excited about it, man. I'm looking forward to watching, and I will be watching it for sure. Sweet. Next question. Uh, on Monday, I believe it's Monday. Uh, we had the home run derby. Uh, I want to get your reactions to that. Look, man, I'm so glad you brought this up because there's a lot to take away from this, and I'll try to be as quick as possible with this one. The, the Home Run Derby has gotten so much better over the last couple of years once they implemented the clock. No 10-ounce bullshit where you just have all the time in the world and just drags on. You have Berman going, back, 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 No, none of that anymore. That's all done away with. Now they have this clock where there's real pressure, where it feels like, oh, my God, like there's it's pulse pounding. Isn't that exactly what baseball has always missed? 
We've talked about this, about why baseball needs to get with the times and implement clocks in their games. It is very possible. It's very doable. You just got to get over the purity aspect of it all, which is complete horseshit to begin with. So the home run derby was enjoyable as hell to see Alonzo do what he's done, winning back-to-back home run derbies. They didn't have one last season. They had one in 2019. He won that one. Has the most home runs of all time. Yeah, I think he has 114 total home runs in the home run derby. No one in the history of baseball has more that is even cracked 100. So he's already put himself in profound numbers. He also has made more money in the last two home run derbies than he makes on an annual salary with the Mets, which is incredible too. So you love seeing stories like that. What pissed me off though, and it's, and it's more towards the home crowd here. And I know I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. Royals fan on Royals fans on Twitter really pissed me off during the home run derby. And I'm going to tell you why, because Salvador Perez got 28 home runs, which tied in the first round, he tied Josh Hamilton back in 2008, his record of 28 home runs in the first round. That was nothing short of amazing what Salvador Perez did. And he deserves all the credit in the world. He got a lot of credit. 28 home runs in the yeah. first round. That is phenomenal to what he did. He was crushing the ball. But see, Rolls fans were pissed because during his at-bats, they weren't really talking or acknowledging what Salvador Perez was doing. Yeah. And everyone took it as, oh, they don't care about the Rolls. Oh, they don't care about Salvador Perez. Leaving out the most important detail of all of it, who was Salvador Perez paired up against in the first round? Alonzo, mm-hmm. who did what right before Salvador Perez? Home runs total. No, he hit 35 home runs in the first round, which blew record. away the record. So naturally, they're going to talk to Pete Alonzo. Oh, wait, flip the, flip the script. Okay, imagine Salvador Perez going out there hitting 35 home runs, and then Pete Alonso's up. You think they're talking Pete Alonso? No, they're interviewing Salvador Perez for what he just did. He set the record. Yeah. So this whole, oh, woe is me bullshit, man. Royals fans, you got to lay off of that shit, man. And it's funny, too, because I've seen nothing but Royals, Royals fans hating the team, talking about they're sick of it. They don't want to watch anymore, all these other things. But then you want to sit here and come to the defense of Salvador Perez in something that he obviously did great, but not as great as the guy that just went up before him. That's how sports goes, guys. It's the ones that are setting records and drawing the attention that are going to get the attention. So all respect to what Salvi did. Salvi was great. Salvi is the second greatest royal of all time. But lay off this woe is me bullshit when it comes to this, guys, because I'm not buying it. Pete Alonso deserved all the attention. And that's what he got. Yeah, I don't have much more to add to that. I concur with everything. Uh, Pete Alonso, man, 74 total home runs. And now it's the, the greatest opening we've ever seen from a home run derby. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big baseball guy, self-admittedly. But I do love the home run derby. I do love the you know the all star weekend for the MLB. It's fun, uh, especially the home run derby. But yeah, I mean we had a lot of good guys out there competing, and it was uh, it was definitely fun. It was a big hit. Um, they did really well this year, and it was entertaining, especially with all the controversy that was going on with the all star weekend stuff in yeah. Atlanta and all that jazz. Uh, we feel how we feel about that, but overall, I think it it, it was a good um, um, home run derby for the league. I think it was it, the product was really really good out there. There was a lot of good guys competing out there and hitting. I think one. Went for like 490 feet, 493 feet or something like that. Yeah, well, there's a few that went over 500. Was there? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Lots of one was like 524. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. They, they, we have it's super Colorado, humans. dude. Yeah. I mean, Denver. You're in elevation. Denver. Stupid. Right. Yeah. So I mean, overall, I mean, like I said, supplementally, not a big baseball guy, but uh, the product was good, and I think the, the the league was represented well by the players out there. Two other things, just a side note: that Mancini from the Baltimore Orioles mm-hmm. to be out there after surviving cancer, that was great. He went to the final round, yep. and seeing Shohei Otani, a pitcher. Doesn't take BP. Not they're hitting in the home run derby, no matter what Stephen A. Smith says. Good thing you brought uh, Shohei Otani because uh, there was uh, quite a bit of people online on, on Twitter, especially that were kind of making fun of Otani uh, 
they were making fun of Otani because uh, he was gassed, uh, and and obviously he didn't perform as well as uh, people thought he was going to perform. So, do you think that's valid, or what do you think about that? One hundred percent, no. Shohei Otani was not gassed. First of all, he had to pitch the next night. He had to start for the AL, so he had to reserve himself. He's out there to showcase. But I think that we all see. I think we won. I think even though Shohei Shohei didn't win the home run derby, we won, and so did Shohei because he got to go out there. We got to watch him do this. Lost in the first round, that sucks. But at least we got to see him out there doing it. And I think again, he was reserving himself because he knew I'm out here to put on a show. Probably not going to win this thing because I know my mind is we have a game to play tomorrow, and I have to start this game, and I have to pitch a couple of innings. I think that's what happened. I don't think that people making fun of them, they don't they just don't understand what was the what this weekend was all about. So I, I definitely don't agree with that at all, and I think that's absolute horseshit. Okay. We'll get Trevor's uh, thoughts later. He's <laughs> dealing with this shoe. <laughs> Straight called him out on it, bro. <laughs> all right, let's go to the next game. Uh so we're talking all star. Obviously, we talk uh, home run derby. You mentioned all star game. Should American leagues uh in general, any sport go away from these all-star games? I think it really depends on what the actual motivating factor of it all is because, no, they won't ever get rid of it because it's a showcase of their best players and people are automatically drawn to that to some degree. So you're always going to have a certain level of attention. Um, but I would like to see them incentivize it more. Something Michael Wilbon came up or brought up rather this week, which I loved, was for the NBA NBA All Star Game in particular, where they have all the American All Stars versus the European and other players that went came from foreign players play against each other, where it's Team USA versus Team World. As, as an all-star game. I think that would be phenomenal, and it adds incentive because, as we've heard, Luka Doncic and other guys have spoken on how important you know the the, US, the Olympics are, how important it is, and how we here in America, we don't really care. Like, it's not very important to us. Like, no, no, not a lot of people are following the, the fact they just lost to Australia today, that Kevin Love dropped out, that they have really no solidified defenders. They're bringing in JaVale McGee. That's all that's where they're getting. Like, a lot of people don't really care about this because um, in America – we don't focus on the Olympics as much. I'm not saying we don't care, but we don't focus on it as much as these other countries where that is everything to them. Luka Doncic said he'd rather win in the Olympics, win gold in the Olympics, than win an uh, NBA title. So yeah. that should tell you. And so that would add incentive and some cool storylines to see. So I would like to see something like that, even baseball. All the best players of the of the Amer- of North America play against the world. Now, the world would whoop our ass because in baseball they're just fantastic. But I would th- I think that's the way you save it. And build more intrigue. I don't think we should have competitive all-star games mid-season ever anymore. I don't. I don't think we should have our players out there playing for a meaningless game. I don't think we should have, especially when you have the collective of all the best players in the world or best players in the NBA playing in a game. I'm all for like the 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 trick the trick stuff the uh, the the uh, the talent showcase stuff the uh, the three-point contest all that stuff that that's very low risk. Because if someone goes out there and tears an ACL in an all-star game, if Steph Curry goes out there and tears his ACL, if LeBron goes out there and, and blows his MCL or something, it's not worth it, man. It's just not. I mean, granted, that doesn't happen often, but having it, making the game more competitive to where it draws more attention as making the – like, I just don't think it's worth it. I don't – and I'm, I feel the same way with the NFL. I don't – I mean, granted, the timing of the NFL game is the season's over. Yeah, the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl's – the season, that's different. That makes more – if you want to do that with the NBA and make the – after the season's over, you know, but I mean, I don't know. I just – mid-season with the All-Star weekend, I, it's a cool idea for all the extra stuff, the skill stuff. 
I'm just not for a competitive game with all the best players and you're risking one or two or three of those best players in, in the NBA, the product, getting injured. I just don't think it's worth it in my mind. I think they need to find a way to add more competitive ways in different ways without it being you know, a full-on game. In my mind, I think they need to work away from that personally. Interesting. Okay. Uh, have you watched Space Jam? <laughs> no, and I'm going to, but it's funny seeing these reviews uh, from people saying the movie sucked. Yeah, of course it does. Just like the first one did. Like their their movies, their movies aim towards children, so right. families will buy LeBron shoes, buy tickets to see this movie, stream it, make money. It's it's a money maker, man. We're not sitting here looking for there will be blood too out of this. Yeah, they didn't cast Leo, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get Martin Scorsese to, to <laughs> yeah. fucking direct this thing. Like it's 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 a it's a puff piece. That's what it is, man. Like I don't understand. Like the I think what it is, honestly, if we're being real, it's just an opportunity for people to criticize LeBron James because the movie is gonna flop. It to me, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it like a thirty eight percent. Well, the original Space Jam was sitting at forty four, so it's not like either one of these movies were, were crushing the box office in a, in a positive way sucks a lot more and maybe it does i don't i just don't care it's not something that really like derails my opinion on the player lebron james which is all that really matters again it's a children's movie aimed to market the shit out of lebron james's brand just like the original space jam was for that for Le- for michael jordan how many times you i mean there's a scene wayne knight from seinfeld yeah. literally sits there and breaks down all the sponsors of that movie Mike, mcdonald's nike all these other things in one sentence it was cu- it was on the nose yeah, man that is what this up. is adds out of the way listen Space Jam was a kids movie when we came out when we were kids. We loved it. We carried that with us as we grow as we grew up. I still love that movie. It's not well. Michael Jordan is an absolute ass actor. I'm sure LeBron. Whoa, I'm whoa. sure. I'm sure LeBron is. Go watch the movie, my guy. I'm sure LeBron's <laughs> an. I'm sure LeBron's an absolute ass actor as well. Great, he's probably a little bit better. But uh, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> just saying, like in basketball. All, all I'm saying, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he has a little more assist in the, the big game too against the monsters. <laughs> all I'm gonna say is, listen. This movie is made for kids of this generation. I'm going to watch that movie with my daughter, and she's probably going to fucking love it, regardless of what the adult reviews are of this movie. Right? There was adult. If you go go look it up, Google, there's some reviews of the original one that weren't good, written by adults. But the kids loved it. I was one of those kids. <laughs> I loved the movie. Michael's Secret Stuff. I loved the movie. That was Space Jam was one of the most iconic movies in my generation, and it's not very good at all. Granted, Bill Murray's in it, who's an absolute legend. Either way, I'm sure this movie is going to be entertaining for me. Just because of the nostalgia and, the, and the, the, the bringing back of a great, iconic film revisited. And I'm sure my kids are going to love it. That's all that matters. It's made for kids. It's really simple. I haven't watched it. I'm going to watch it. And the kids are going to love it. And these kids in this generation are going to carry that with them just like we did with, with Michael Jordan's version. Right. So it's- we got eight minutes on, on the segment. I got one more question for you guys. Uh, I want to see your thoughts on uh, Acuna Jr. Uh, having season-ending injury. Absolutely sucks, man. He's one of my favorite athletes in the world, not just baseball players. I, I admire this guy so much. Uh, baseball is a regionalized sport, but there are certain players that you just get attached to if you're a baseball fan. And Acuna is one of those guys, man. He, he's so well-respected and renowned in the league because he's I think he's gotten hit more than any player in the league by pitchers. Yeah. Uh, that tells you they're, they're, they're terrified of this guy. And so I, it sucks so bad, man, on the play, too, because he's really – and he's had a, a phenomenal season. And for him to, to go out the way he did, torn ACL, which means he's going to miss a portion of next season as well, it really sucks. The only saving grace is he's so damn young. He's only 22 years old. 
he's going to get a lot more opportunities to bounce back from this, and I think he's absolutely going to do that. And uh, hopefully before Freddie Freeman gets out of his prime, the Braves can make something happen because I really believe in that kid. It really I hate injuries altogether. Whenever like we, you ask Trevor, man, when we, we watch games and it could be the Chiefs versus the Raiders. If I see a Raider player go down, man, my heart hurts because I, I know that's affected Except for Derek Carr. Yeah. So much further than than just the game because when they leave, they got to go back to their homes. They got to go back to their lives, and that doesn't escape. It's not like you can leave that injury on the field. So I, I just feel for the person. I feel for Ronald, man. I really hope he can bounce back quick because he's such a stud. Yeah, not going to lie. If John Gruden pulls a hammy on the sidelines, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rejoicing. God damn it. Pure laughter. No, yeah, it's it's a definitely unfortunate, man. That's uh, you never want to see any any star player from any sport to go down like that. Just to, to season-ending injury, uh, and then uh, you know uh, a lengthy recovery uh, road ahead. That's just never fun for anybody. But I mean, the guy's young enough to where he's going to bounce back. He's resilient. He's an absolute stud, phenom in the sport. So I, I have no. It sucks in the moment. But granted, I don't think they were going to do too much as far as team-wise this year. But at the same time, I do think he'll bounce back and be right back at next season, and uh, it'll be a full go. He'll be fine. Good mailbag, Eddie. We appreciate you, bro. I have one question for you, though, before we get out of here. Let's go. So Lionel Messi got himself a nice little pay period out of the Barcelona boys over there, which we thought he might depart from them. But that's not so quick. Eddie, what are your thoughts on that, brother? Look, man, eh, Barcelona is doing a little too much to keep, uh, obviously, one of the greats uh, in their their lineup. And, And I understand. I mean, obviously, he's one of the greats. Uh, he's been playing with Barcelona since he was like six years old. So <laughs> it's very understandable. But then you got to look at the expense uh, as to how, like, how you're managing to be able to keep him in your uh, in your team. Uh, just last year, we saw that uh, Messi announced that he wanted to leave. He wanted uh, he Apparently, he had that in his contract. But uh, Barcelona argued that COVID changed all his contract and all that stuff. And Messi felt like, uh, that was unfair, and uh, Barcelona was not meeting their uh, side of the contract, and Barcelona ended up threatening him that they were going to take him to court, and Messi was like, okay, I don't want to trade I, just because I love this team so much that I do not want to go to court against this team. Okay. Then Barcelona, come, like later on that year, we find out that Barcelona is in over a billion dollars in debt. Yet again, they... They want to keep this man in their lineup. I get, I get it that uh, he brings revenue, he brings uh, fans to the stands, he brings all that stuff. But at the same time, look at the hole you're digging yourself into, and you're trying to dig yourself out of. A billion dollars is not is not a chunk of change. That, that's something that has to be planned out within the next. I would say the next decade, something that you have to dig yourself out of. And that is, Messi's not going to solve that shit in the next four years, whatever his contract is. There's no way that they struggled so much to pay this man's uh, salary for four years, and now they want him. They want him back. It's like we'll get rid of six players. That's fine. Okay, you're getting rid of six great players. Now what? You have nothing. Now you're going to have to put uh, players from your academy into the biggest moments. You're not going to have depth in your team to win championships. Next year, we might see the fall of Barcelona uh, going to mid-table, lower table. We could potentially see that. They don't have the money to sign new players. They don't. Uh, Yes, Messi apparently took a 50% uh, discount from his previous contract. 
Yeah, look at his previous contract. Six hundred and seventy-four million. <laughs> it's okay to take a discount off that, huh? Fifty <laughs> percent discount is still over three hundred and fifty yeah. million. Like, you're still gonna have to pay this man a lot you of money. From, you went from fucking filthy rich to really fucking filthy rich, man. Yeah, so still uh, fucking filthy rich. <laughs> Messi's probably made a billion over a billion dollars from Barcelona in contracts. And, and we've seen it. Uh, we've seen how it affected Barcelona's uh, wallet. Uh, they're struggling. That, so, yeah, I, I like it because uh, this could potentially mean that Messi retires from Barcelona, and th- that's the one and only team he played for. Other team, uh, other player I can think of that d- that did that was uh, Francesco Totti from uh, mm. from uh, Italy. He played all his career with Roma, and he retired in Roma, and that was it. But yeah, at what expense is Barcelona doing this? Totti would never came close to six hundred and seventy-four million dollars. No, but yeah, I'm, I can't wait till we uh, see Lionel Messi in the MLS, like Sporting versus uh, Miami. <laughs> Miami yeah. He will yeah. play in the MLS. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Let, I'll tell you that right now, dude. You imagine what the house is going to be like in Sporting when they come Me- to town. Messi is playing in the MLS. <laughs> <laughs> they can't afford his ass. Nah. That's that's an awesome Eddie Hour, man. One of the best we've had. We need to get to our guy. Darren Smith from 810 WHB. The ship! Board the ship, boys. We get back to this after this. Is that after this? God. Midcoast Modern is a Kansas City focus on modern, handmade, and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast, and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell What's good? and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. So we need to get right to it, man, because we got a lot to talk about. We have he's not even a guest on this show anymore. Like I said, guys, this man is in the, the Spoken Hall of Fame at this point with the most appearances by far, and it's not even close, and it probably never will be close because this man has the knowledge that we want to obtain on this show every single time that he comes on. The captain of the ship at 810 Sports Radio WHB. Mr. Darren Smith. How we doing tonight, Mr. Darren Smith? Doing pretty good, fellas. Thank you as always for having me on. It's our pleasure, man. We always we always look forward to having you on, man. And I was talking to the guys before the show because there's so much to unpack. It's it's so weird to listen to some of these shows uh, locally and nationally uh, that are avoiding some of these topics that I feel are so heavy and so uh, uh, relevant in both NBA and the NFL. And I want to I want to get right to it right now because some big news dropped today when it came to Damian Lillard. Uh, when we all woke up this morning, we were seeing reports that Damian Lillard is going to officially request a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. And then after practice, uh, and I believe it was in Vegas, I think that's where they're practicing right now. He was talking about, he shut it down. He tried to say that, you know, that isn't, that didn't happen. That's not true. It's not happening, but he didn't make it 
to a point where it made it sound like he was loyal to the Portland Trailblazers. And that's where I think there's pause as to where he's going to end up being next season. And I think that's why he's ultimately going to get traded. And I understand why he's probably trying to defuse some of this because he wants to make it on his own time. But I want to get your thoughts on everything that's going on with Damian Lillard and where you expect him to play this next season. Hey, Liz, I can't. Are we having some audio trouble? Are you there, Darren? Yeah, okay, I'm here. Okay, could you repeat the last part? Because uh, your audio cut out of my head. Not a problem at all. Yeah, just I, I want to get your thoughts on on what you what you took away from everything that happened with Damian Lillard today of him shooting down and diffusing uh, the reports that initially came out about him potentially asking for a trade and out of Portland. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think he's going to inevitably be traded? And where do you see him getting traded? If so. Well, you know, what's interesting is that we, when, you know, you have to kind of go back a little bit in history because he's one of the players that always talked about not wanting to, you know, form a super team or join with other superstars because I think he saw what was going on with Kevin Durant and LeBron James and all the movement that that stuff was doing, taking place. And he thought that it was kind of a, uh, let's just say a weak move, so to speak, of players who did stuff like that. Well, now he's in a situation where he sees he's only going to go so far with the talent that's around him. And he sees that this is a new NBA, uh, you know, that, that, he, that he's playing with. And I think in conversation that he's having with players on the Olympic team and stuff like that, I think it's kind of opening up his eyes now. I think pride may be an issue because he knows that people may end up taking him like, hey, this is what you said, and now you are being a big old hypocrite. Now, I know I think the reports that are saying it, I think, I think, um, I think I heard that report on Undisputed. I'm not sure if it came across any of the other television shows or not. I think he's doing, I think he's saying that because he hasn't officially put out that report yet, or he hasn't officially put that ask in it. So, you know, but he could also be in a scenario where he might be telling somebody that to see who leaks it. So then that way they can cut that person out of their, you know, out of their circle or whatever. So, you know, I could also see a scenario like that because that happens in politics all the time. Um, but if I, but if I'm Damian Lillard, look, man, you're not. I mean, you know, sooner or later you gotta, you gotta come to terms that you're not winning a world championship in Portland. Uh, you know, Giannis, for him to, you know, be able be on the cusp of, of winning the world title in Milwaukee, a lot of things had to happen. Injuries, you know, befell a lot of teams on, on the on both on both in both conferences, and you know, and he's kind of he's like they've kind of lucked up in there in their way to get to the finals. And Phoenix Suns just the same. So things have to work out in your favor for, for that to type for, for things like that to have to happen. But Portland just no such luck, and and you don't really win with that you know that size point guard in the NBA, uh, you know anymore. And so if I'm Damian Lillard, if there's a place, obviously, you know, you know, LeBron James would love to have you uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. But it's, it's a matter of who would even have a the salary cap because he's, he, he's a max player and he's in the middle of a $250 million contract. So the team has to be able to fit him underneath the salary cap and you're going to have to trade a number of first round draft picks in order to obtain him. So you have to make sure that not only do you have the assets to get him, but you still got to make sure that he's surrounded by the talent that is going to be needed. So, you know, you have to put him with another max player or max two players. And I'm not sure whether it's the Lakers or anyone else, where exactly uh, Damian Lillard with his contract can fit right now. 
These these finals have been nothing short of entertaining, and quite frankly, let's just be honest, it's been simply unpredictable. No one picked the Bucks and the Suns at the beginning of this season to get to the finals. But I, I just want to get your overall takeaway from the first four games of these play of these finals. Now tied two two, going back to Phoenix. I want to get your thoughts on the on the first four games so far, and your expectations for Game Five Saturday night and beyond. Well, the first four games have been interesting to say the least. It's been frustrating because. I'm someone, you know, growing up watching the Lakers and the Celtics and the Pistons and the Bulls in the early, you know, late well, in the 80s and the 90s or whatever, where your superstars came to play game in and game out. I'd say outside of Giannis, I've been disappointed in the fact that Chris Paul has had bad games, Devin Booker's had bad games. Chris Middleton just, just you know, he just befuddles me because he's just so damn inconsistent. He'll score 31 in game one, and then, you know, he's in the teens, 14 points in game three, before turning around and scoring 40 points in game in game four. So I expect another 12, 11-point game from him in game five. So, you know, and that's what's frustrating because you expect top players to put up to, to put out top efforts game in and game out because this is the NBA Finals. This is what you're playing for. When the hell do you have time to have a bad game? This is the Finals. This trip didn't guarantee to you. So it's been frustrating. It's been interesting, obviously, because, you know, I mean, you get a chance to see, okay, you know Giannis is going to do what he's going to do. Giannis averaged 40 and 15 against uh, against Phoenix during the regular season. He's been doing, you know, obviously he's coming back off of a hyperextended knee in game one, but he still gave you 22 and 17. And then, of course, 40 and, you know, 42, 40-plus games and then another 26 and 14 games in game four. So I expect the big game from Giannis. The question is, who is going to go, who's going to go on that ride with him? Holiday's been a little disappointed. Now, he's, he's been cool on the defensive end, but it's taking a toll on his offensive production where he, shoot, where he shot, what, 420 in game three. You know, Chris Middleton, again, like I said, he had 40 points in game, in game four, but he took 33 shots to get there. The thing that's most frustrating for me when I watch Milwaukee play, and Shannon Shop talks about it all the time, like they do too many dumb stuff. And the dumbest stuff that they do is they shoot unnecessary shots again. They could have been more, more efficient in their shot selection in, in uh, Thursday night's game, and they could have blown, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Wednesday night's game, and they could have blown out uh, the Phoenix Sun. You know, they won by six, but again, Middleton is shooting 14 to 33. Giannis, you know, shoots, shoots less than 50%. Drew Holiday shoots 420. If those three alone just shoot an efficient 50%, the game's a blowout. And so it's stuff like that where you're, you're looking at Coach Budenholz and you're like, dude, what are, you, what are you saying to these players in the locker room? Like, what type of game plan are you putting into place? Um, you know, Devin Booker having a bad game in game three, come back in game four, he scored 42 points. But he only had one rebound, so he was so busy shooting that he didn't do the other things that would help his team win. DeAndre Aiden had a bad offensive game. He had 17 rebounds, but he had 16 on the defensive rebound because of all the bad shots that Milwaukee was taking, which means he didn't do anything on the offensive end. So, I mean, it, it's been frustrating watching this. It's been interesting because, again, this is, you know, you could look at it as a post-LeBron James era where you're seeing different teams and different storylines that are making up. Uh, the interest in the NBA Finals. So, I mean, it, it, it has been interesting. I'm not surprised at where we are being in Game 5 because I expect the home teams to win. I expect the Phoenix to be up 2-0. I 
I expected Milwaukee to go home and win the two games. They've done that. Now it's now so it's a, it's a three game series. The question is going to be, can Milwaukee win a game on the road? All all Phoenix has to do is hold serve. They hold serve. They win the world title. So I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, game game five. You know, I expect Chris Paul to bounce back off of his bad game four performance. Um, I would go with man. You know, as much as much as I like the way Phoenix, I mean Milwaukee's played the last couple of games. I will go with Phoenix because, you know, you you know, I don't know what I'm gonna get from from Chris Middleton. If Chris Middleton has a good game, you know, 25, 30 point bargain, but he but he don't take 30 some shots to get there. I can see a scenario where Milwaukee can walk out of Phoenix with an upset win, looking to go back to Milwaukee to close it at home. The key for them, to be quite honest, is they need to use their height to their advantage. They have Giannis, they have Portis, they have Lopez. Use use those bodies on the inside. Get DeAndre Aiden into foul trouble. They don't have any height any height up to that. You get them in foul trouble, you can beat them up inside all night long. They just refuse to do it. So I don't. I really don't know what to expect because I don't know what type of adjustments, if any, either one of these teams are going to make. However, this this series ends. Uh, we know that the biggest question going into this offseason, uh, maybe even for the NBA as a whole, is where CP3 ends up and is if he's going to be a, a, a son for the foreseeable future. Now, we know he's 36 years old, um, and we do know that the Suns absolutely love him. And, and, and my point of view on this, and I expressed this in the first segment, is the fact that Chris Paul and the Suns as a whole right now, the Chris Paul era is never, in my eyes, going to be better than what it is right this second. Because as you and I talked on your show this last Sunday with Freddie Coleman, we talked about, and Freddie said it himself, that it's going to go back towards that direction of Steph and LeBron and the superstar players getting back to prominence in the playoffs. So this is peak Suns. Now, I'm not saying they can't win in the future because they have a buddy superstar in themselves with Devin Booker. But my eyes is if you want to continue that trajectory with Devin Booker, you have to build a team around him, not so much CP3. So I think that if I'm the Suns, if I'm Robert Sarver, I let this be what it is and let CP3 go make his money elsewhere, wherever that might be, and spend my money elsewhere building Devin Booker, a younger team to build for the future and continue this success. What are your thoughts? If you're Robert Sarver, would you bring back Chris Paul in a long-term deal or not? Well, first of all, uh, no, if I'm the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Look, they already got him under contract. He has a player option. Chris Paul is probably going to decide to opt out. I don't know anybody turns down $46 million, but, you know, to each his own. And so that's what he would be doing if he decides to opt out because he thinks he can get maybe a long-term deal somewhere else. He's 36. He looked his age in game in game four. If he, you know, if the Phoenix Suns lose this series, um, if I'm Chris Paul, I'm opting back in. Because again, $46 million is $46 million. And he ain't going broke no time soon. If he decides to opt out and tries to go somewhere else, I mean, to be honest, unless it's the Lakers who who could use a, a point guard, I don't, I mean, I don't really see where his style of play fits because one, he always seems to butt heads with another team superstar, whether it was with Oklahoma City or I, I forget where else he might have played. Obviously, LA. I don't know. If, I don't think he played in Houston, yet, in Houston as well. So, I mean, I don't. I, I just don't. I don't see where else he can go. Now, it it worked well. It worked well in in Phoenix because you know, I think he might have played or, or or played against Monty Williams. So you know, so so you know, they have relationships. So he's not working. And Devin Booker is the type of dude who's not, you know, he's got the COVID mentality. So 
he's trying to, you know, he's trying to win at all costs. So I don't see an issue there. But if I'm if, if I'm Chris Paul, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be dependent on whether or not they win the title or not. If he decides to opt in, look, if he opts out, it's because they won the title, and he, he, you know, the Rays gonna go wherever he goes, and and you know he might feel like, you know, that's enough for him to get a, a long term deal somewhere. I don't, you know, I just, again, I can't see why somebody would opt out of a forty six million dollar, you know, player, player uh, contract, but. You know, Chris Paul is a different kind of cat than I am. Well, speaking of button heads, we we heard a few weeks ago, obviously, that Rick Carlisle uh, bounced out of Dallas, despite the fact he had multiple years left on his deal, and despite the fact that he had a budding superstar in himself for Luka Doncic, uh, going back to Indiana, where he started his head coaching career in the NBA. I, I have to. I've, I have two questions when it comes to the Mavericks as a whole. When it comes to the Rick Carlisle situation, because we also know that a few years ago. He had some real problems with Rajon Rondo and how they didn't get along because Rajon Rondo was a very strong-willed point guard as well, a very knowledgeable point guard. And we also have heard reports that Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic didn't get along either. Is this a problem with Rick Carlisle and strong-willed point guards, or is there a real issue with Luka Doncic and Jason Kidd, a former Dallas Maverick himself, coming in to step in as the new head coach? Do you think he can resolve said problem with Jason with uh, Luka Doncic? I believe that Luka Doncic is – I don't think he's really a problem. I just think that he knows he's a superstar. He knows he's one of the top five players in in the league, and he's just exercising that, you know, that uh, that position with him. I mean, it's, it's no different than LeBron James. And, you know, LeBron James tried to maneuver moves even down when he was in Miami with Pat Riley button heads with him uh, along, with, uh, along with his time in Cleveland. I just think that – who much is given, much is expected. He's a top five player. He's an MVP candidate. He's, he's played that way. And he's shown his talent the last couple of seasons. He's the first first All-NBA team on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he's uh, I mean, he's deserving of it. So if he, you know, if he butt heads or whatever, at the end of the day, it, it, who, you know, who do you think the fans pay to see the players, not the coaches? And, just like Magic Johnson Westhead out of there, even though he won the world title with him his rookie season, by by eighty two he was gone, and 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 he wanted, you know, he blessed Pat Riley, and Pat Riley led them to four, four, um, you know, four four NBA titles and, and and eight playoff, you know, eight finals appearances. So, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a player driven league, and you know, I mean, look, if, it's kind of like Damian Lillard talked about him, you know, whether or not. If he wants out of there, you know, they're going to have to do what they can to acquiesce to him. It's just, it's just what it is. It's a player-driven league. Now, obviously, we, we have a couple more games to go, uh, hopefully at least two to three more games to go in this in these final series to bounce back to that. we got at least two. So. Yeah, yeah, at least we got – yeah, hopefully we get three. That's my hope. Um, but, but I think no matter what happens after this series – or no matter what happens in the next two to three games, I think Giannis – should win MVP of the finals, despite whether the Bucks win or lose. I've never been one of those that believes that if you're on the winning team, you get finals MVP no matter what, because we've seen uh, even Jerry West back in the I think, late 60s, early 70s win finals MVP when they, the Lakers lost. I'd like to see guys get valued correctly, and I think Giannis has been by far the most valuable, best player of this series, no matter what the end result is. But I want to know, because we're, we're starting to get this, this question now about who really is the best basketball player in the world. People have been trying to crown Kevin Durant. 
People have been trying to crown Kawhi Leonard. I think LeBron has held the crown for about 14, 15 years now. I think that now Giannis has a real opportunity here to take that crown. If he goes and finishes this series, gets himself one of the greatest three-year stretches in the history of the NBA with two NBA, two NBA, or two NBA finals or two MVPs and then getting a championship, I think that would make him that would give him a legitimate argument. Who is the best NBA player in the world right now and why, Darren? Uh, I would, I, I, I would be okay if, if Giannis, um, you know, if things played out their way and he wins the MVP and wins the finals MVP, this would be one of the few arguments that I would make for the first time. And, and since Jerry West, I mean, LeBron James probably should have won it in a losing effort. I think one of those times against the world, I can't remember when, um, you know, win the MVP, uh, in the, in the finals. So look, I don't have a problem if he if he won if he won in, in a losing manner, but for for me to kind of crown the world, you know, the best player in the world, he would need to win the championship and and close out obviously with the MVP. I would still, based on, on all around, on, on, on as an all around player, I would give that to LeBron. I think LeBron James can still do it. I think even at the age of thirty six, you know, injury aside, I think he can still you know, score, rebound, assist with the best of them. I, I think the only person, to be honest, who will give in, and you know what, and look, and, and I've got to say that they're both foreign-born, they are both foreign-born players, but, you know, Nikola Jokic and, and Luka Doncic, I mean, because because they play all three, you know, major, major stats, scoring, rebounding, as well as assists, you know, I mean, they do it just as well as LeBron. I mean, I could see because for me to think that you're the best player, you got to, you know, you, it's got to encompass it. I would still give it to LeBron because if I need a defense out of those three, I think LeBron plays the best defense now, even though he's he's much older. Uh, you know, I think he's you know he's still better athletically, so I think that would give him the nod. But Luca, I think I would damn to give Luca that before. But at the moment, I think if Giannis wins it. He, you know, he would have a good case against uh, against Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Couple, couple NFL questions I want to get from you, Darren. Some thoughts on them. Uh, we we saw the the video. We've seen the reports about Richard Sherman and what took place, the unfortunate situation. And he's come out with his official statement talking about how he's going to get the proper help that he needs. And obviously. I, I feel that anybody that has a heart should have a heart towards a man that's that's having some a struggle like this. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you uh, have taken away over the last couple of days as this as the story has really bloomed into what it is. Well, it's uh, I mean I've talked about it on the show. I mean it's uh, it, it's obviously a sad situation, especially when alcohol is involved. I hold Richard Sherman to a higher standard than I do some of the players. I hold him to a higher standard than I do Frank Clark. Because Sherman is in a leadership position, and you cannot, you cannot be a member of the NFL Executive Committee Players Association, and you're found doing things like this. Because if I'm a regular NFL player, I'm going to be looking like this. you can't tell me nothing. Because look, I mean, look what you look at, look at how you put yourself in the situation, and you allowed alcohol to get the best of you. You know, I, I say, and you know, people think I'm a juggler, but you know, I talk about on on top of the show where I don't drink and I don't smoke. For this very reason, you know, saying because I'm not, I don't want that to be used as an excuse or put myself in a situation where I got to be able to explain myself and, and come out and apologize for stuff like this. So, I mean, look, it's not, it's not the end of the world, thankfully, but 
if you if, if you read if you if you go into the, the police report and things that would have happened and and, and listening to Skip Bayless as he described it, the father-in-law was armed with the handgun and told him to quit kicking in the door. Had Richard Sherman been successful in kicking in the door and coming in, this probably could have turned out for the worse. I mean, his father-in-law would, would have had every right to defend himself and, and, and shoot to kill Richard Sherman. I mean, and then we're having a totally different conversation. So again, you know, that's why I don't drink, so I don't do drugs because that's something because when you do that, you're not in your right mind and anything and everything can happen. And I'm I'm just, you know, I'm disappointed in him. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, he's owned up to it. I mean, didn't really have much of a choice. I'm not sure what team is gonna go and take a risk on signing him right now, dealing with the stuff right now. But, you know, I hope for the best and, and, and hope uh, for the best for that family as well. Are you buying this nonsense about Tom Brady playing all of last season on a torn, completely torn MCL? Or are you with Are you with me in saying this is a bunch of hogwash? They're just trying to mythicize this dude even further. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. I, mean, I talked about that on, on my show as well. I mean, I, I think that's the case because how do you keep it a secret for that long period of time, and no one knows and. You know, obviously he's not Patrick Holmes or Lamar Jackson, but you know, I, I can't see, I can't see scenarios where he was he was like running much throughout throughout the regular season that we you know that you wouldn't have been able to notice anything like that. So I don't know. I think he might have got banged up in, in the playoffs. And, you know, it, it it helps the urban legend that is Tom Brady. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where I stand on it as well. And and, and just one more question for you, Darren. Uh, it's Chiefs related. I, we know that the Chiefs obviously revamped this offensive line, and we're all very excited about that because it's clearly going to benefit Patrick Mahomes. We've discussed this on your show, on my show several times, and it's obviously going to help the run game. I think that Clyde has a very legitimate chance of leading the, the AFC in scrimmage yards. I really do believe that. Um, but I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Who do you think on the offensive side the most that maybe people aren't expecting it, this this great offensive line the Chiefs have put together, or at least this much improved offensive line they put together. Who do you think it's going to benefit the most outside of the obvious? I I think the rookie Cornell Powell, and I think Daryl Williams. Uh, uh, I think those two because you know while everybody's thinking Clyde is going to do it behind his offensive line, he's still five foot three, and, and at the end of the day, you know when it comes to fourth and one you're not going to put him in there to try to punch and get that extra yard. So I, I think, I think Daryl Williams would have a better chance to perform with that offensive line when he gets his, when he gets his time. But look, I mean, Clyde is going to be the starter, you know, I mean, if he gets tweaked or something, you know, I mean, we'll see how that, how that plays out. But I think people that are benefit the most is going to be him. And I think Cornell Powell, because if Patrick Mahomes is going to have that type of, that type of time behind, you know, we expect Tyreek Hill, we expect Travis Kelce, you know, say to to uh, to perform well, regardless. But Patrick is going to have to elevate the other wide receiver to you know to a higher standard since you're not going to go out and get a veteran wide receiver, you know, to go on the other side of of uh, of Tyreek. So if that's going to be the case, out of the wide receiver that we have, I mean, you could probably make a case for Byron Pringle, but I think it's going to be more corner possible because. He's played, you know, he's played in the national title game. He's played with Trevor Lawrence, who has a big arm. You know, I, I think that he'll be, I think he'll be 
a surprise and a steal uh, with this offensive line because look, Patrick's going to have what to me. I think he's going to have all the time in the world, so it's going to be up to Patrick to be as accurate as he claims that he's trying to be. As we do each and every time you're on our show, man, which we always appreciate your time because I know your time is valuable. We let you have the platform and you speak on whatever matter you want to speak on. It is your time and let the people know where they can reach you on all the social media platforms and when they can see or hear your show. Well, I mean, you know, as always, uh, appreciate coming on the show and, and uh, you know, and uh, trying to drop a little something with you all. But, uh, you know, you can catch me Sunday mornings uh, on Sports Radio 810 WHB to ship with Darren Smith at uh, uh, Sports Radio 810 WHB 9 to 11. Monday through Fridays on ESPN Kansas City, uh, 3 to 4 p.m. And then, of course, you can catch me on social media, Facebook, uh, at Darren Smith, WHB on Facebook. And on on uh, Twitter, it is at D Smith ESPN KC. I've changed it up somewhere there. So, yeah. I like I like the new handle, man. I, I appreciate that new handle. I saw that earlier. I was like, man, I'm trying to recite that one because uh, when did you change it? Yesterday, I was just bored. I was, <laughs> I was just trying to see what I could change it to. That would be, you know, uh, I really, I mean, that's how I was working out and, you know, watching TV. I was just bored literally sitting at the computer. Like, let me see if I can. I was on my phone. Let me see if I can change it up and see, you know, what I can fit in. I didn't know if I wanted to be Smith there. I just... Well, we always appreciate our guy, Darren Smith, man. We, we, I mean, that was awesome, dude. I really appreciate you giving us your insight on the NBA and all things NFL. Man, before we know, we're going to have the NFL to talk about and really digest week to week. And we look <laughs> forward to having you more. And I appreciate every time you have me on the show as well, man. So that is our guy, Darren Smith. Thank you so much. You guys going to catch him out of the ship and uh, follow him on social media as well. He's never afraid to speak his mind and give you his opinions. And that is what I appreciate about him the most. Darren, you have yourself an awesome weekend. We will talk soon, my brother. All right, man. I'll see you on Sunday, bro. Yes, sir. All right. That's our guy, Darren Smith, man. Follow him. He's he's well worth it. I'm telling you guys, he's one of the best there is. We're going to take a quick break because we got to get to you guys. It's the Monday Mailbag next. We'll get back to that after this. KC Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at KC Hemp Co. Mail time. The mail's here. It is time for the Monday Mailbag. What we do each and every week is we give you, the listening audience, an opportunity to take over the entire show for an entire segment. Whatever it is in the world of sports you all want to talk about this week, it is your opportunity to voice that, and we give you guys our honest feedback and reaction to whatever it is you want to talk about. Eddie, what is in the Monday Mailbag this week? All right. Uh, first question comes from Shaggy Shane. Uh, with, the, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bringing everyone back in 2021, do you see them as favorites in the NFC? You have to say yes right now just because of the respect that you have to give a champion, and especially when they've kept everyone like Shaggy said. Um, usually teams will fall off um, roster-wise whenever they have a Super Bowl type of run because guys go and get paid to get that Super Bowl tax, whether you win or lose. Um, but the Buccaneers did an incredible job of literally running it back like the Chiefs did from, 28, or from 2019 to 2020. 
Um, and, and, I, and I totally understand why the Bucs did it because they know they only have a couple cracks at this with Tom Brady as their quarterback at the helm. So it was very smart of them to do what they did. And I think that if you look at the NFC as a whole right now with so many questions in place, you have to think that right now as it currently stands, the Bucs are the favorites. So, yeah, I'm going to say right now they, they, they should sit as the NFC favorites. I'm not saying I'm picking them yet. We'll obviously have a show for that in the near future, but they have to be at this time. Yeah, I mean, now that Tom Brady has both his legs now, you know what I mean? Now that he's you know not playing on some massive injury and a mass, massive risk, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit for Tom Brady. I'm excited <laughs> to see where his career is going to go. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, name them the favorites in the NFC because they are the, the defending champs, just as we would if the, with the Chiefs, regardless of who improved what roster in the AFC. When the Chiefs coming off the Super Bowl, we're claiming them as the best team, not only in the league but in the AFC. So I'm going to give them respect uh, to where it's due. Um, they won the Super Bowl. They beat us. Uh, so, I mean, they, they should be looked at as the, not only the best team in the NFC, but the best team in the NFL. And I, haven't, I, will not be able, I would not argue that. Uh, I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, especially with the, the improvements we made, but we have to go out there and improve that this season, right? So, um, yeah, man, kudos to the Super Bowl champs. They, they did what they had to do. That's a very, very good defense still. They brought everybody back, regardless of the offensive weapons they have. That defense was insane last year. Um, so, yeah, uh, simple answer, man. Yeah, they, they deserve every bit of respect for winning the Super Bowl and beating our Chiefs. So, yeah, absolutely, they should be, they should be thought of as that. All right, uh, next question comes from Caleb. Uh, Caleb Butler, why don't Royals fans get upset at the front office like the Chiefs fans did with, with the front office? It's like they don't care about having baseball in this town. Uh, look, man, I, the answer to this is as simply as I can. I think it's because the Royals have sucked a lot over the last four or five decades. Um, especially the last three decades. Uh, since George Brett retired, the roles have been pretty much dog shit for the majority of our life. Yes. So I think I don't I don't want to sit here and say that Royals fans don't care. I'm not going to put those words in people's mouths or th- those actions into people's mouths or those feelings into people. But I, I definitely think that it's just because we're used to it here in Kansas City. I think we're used to seeing the Royals being a bad team and the laughing stock in the, the, the MLB that there's been nicknames like Kansas Shitty uh, in, in baseball terms because of the fact that they've been a farm system for teams like the Yankees, Red Sox, Phillies, Nationals, teams like that. So I, I definitely I know Royals fans. I know a lot of Royals fans and they love this team. They're loyal to this team. They go and spend money on this team, which I think is just absolutely absurd at this point. Um, but yeah, that, that is the biggest thing is I just think that there's a there's a, a, something we're accustomed to here. That's why there was such outrage when the Chiefs went 2-14 in 2012. They're like, get Pioli the fuck out of here because we came from the 90s. We came from the early 2000s. We won a Super Bowl back in the late 60s, early 70s. There's more of a standard of success in Kansas City uh, for the Chiefs, and there was the Royals, so that mentality has to change. But until that does, I just think that we look at it as more of the same, and we flip the next page. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's the same as far as comparing the the the, the Chiefs' history. And look, the Chiefs say what you want about the, how bad the Chiefs have been for a long time before we had Alex Smith and got into the Andy Reid era. <clears throat> we had a lot of success. We had a lot of good teams that just couldn't get over the hump, and. Uh, you know, bad leadership overall, but I mean, we had very, very talented teams that went, you know, to the playoffs, you know, fairly consistently and always had some kind of hope of being a team that would contend, but we just never had a good balance of team. We never had a superstar player that we like we have now you know, throwing the football, but granted, I mean, it's just not the same. The history of the two teams is just not the same. Um, the Royals, you know, had a little run there in the eighties and, you know, in the, obviously, you know, in recent history um, with the, the, the fairly recent championship, but um, it's just, yeah, I don't, I mean, if feel free, I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't push for better. Obviously you should want better, but I think with baseball, it's just different, especially in a small market. If you're in a small market in the MLB, 
it just never happens. There, there, there's not like dynasties that come out of nowhere in the MLB and of small markets. It just doesn't happen like that in the MLB, man. Um, there's great runs. Uh, the Royals have not been a, I mean, the past handful of years, yeah, we've struggled. But I mean, listen, it, 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 it is what it is right now. And I think we do have some promise. And there are some young players that are up and coming. I think you just need to be a little patient. And, uh, and if you know, if you want to go start a Save Our Royals campaign and, you know, blackout Royals games, be my guest. Well, you won't have to do that because Bally Sports made sure you can't watch the game. So we're <laughs> yeah. on that. That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> Turn that shit off. It's yeah. still annoying that, like, our local channels don't broadcast Royals games. Yeah, so you can thank Bally Sports for that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. I'm all for fans being, you know, uh, go-getters. You know, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't want to accept the reality that we're in right now, don't. You know, go and, and do whatever you got to do as a fan and voice your opinion because your your our voices could never be louder than they are now. Everyone has a voice and opinion now, so feel free if you want to if you want to push for that. Be my guest. All right. Uh, next question comes from Donnie Couch. Hey guys, how was your week? Solid, great. What's your thoughts on the Royals draft picks? I didn't like it at all. I, I, I especially the first one. I felt that uh, th- this is why I'm starting to lose faith quickly and date more. Look, Dayton and I have very different ide- ideologies and, and thoughts on, on the world and life as, as a whole, and I'm never going to diss somebody for that, at least not openly. Um, but I think it's now starting to really impede in his decision-making as a professional. He's taking guys based upon their character as people, which I understand to a degree. Like, you want to have good people. I'm not sitting here saying that that doesn't matter. But when that is, like, the ultimate deciding factor of why you're drafting a guy because he's a nice kid and he comes from a good background all that, can he play baseball? That's the question you have to ask, and we don't know. And this guy's super young. I think he's only 18 years old. I, I really didn't like it. I thought there was better options out there. And I think Dayton Moore is really – and I've been a defender of Dayton Moore. Again, despite our differences as people, I, I've been a I've been a, a pretty profound defender of Dayton Moore. I thought he brought prominence to the Royals, and if anything, he just brought respect, respect to the Royals again, uh, developing that team that went to two straight World Series. So – um, it, it's frustrating because I think that Royals fans segueing from the form the previous question, they expect Dayton Moore to build this team from within. And when you can't even do that as a small market team, that's when you have to really start thinking about changing some things. And Dayton Moore has been here since 20, 2016, which is a long ass time. And he's had some success, but this season they're on pace for over a hundred losses, which would make him seven, 100 loss seasons under Dayton Moore, which is by far the most in MLB history under one GM. I think if that if that ends up happening, I think the Royals need to think about moving on from Dayton Moore, which they're not because this is just not a franchise that does shit like that. But I think that would be the next course of action if they're trying to change their ways and go and look after, go and get players that are great baseball players that happen to be good guys, not the other way around. Yeah, drafting and depending on on Angels in the outfield is not the best strategy as far as you know personality reasons to to draft people uh, and and to play a professional sport for your professional team. Uh, can you perform is the only thing you need to worry about um, as far as face value. We don't mean you can worry about morale and the locker room guys later on. That's a developmental issue. That's not you want to draft guys that have the skill set to help your team succeed and collect W's point blank period. And that's all us fans, I think, are asking for is guys that are going out there that are hungry to to, to better this team, to better, you know, the chance of this team, you know, improving uh, in, the, in the W column. So. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I don't. I mean, the base baseball man is one of those sports that you know you, you could, a, a no name guy can get drafted and then become something in the league and you know hit his stride and, and and all of a sudden he has star potential and that's the beauty of the game as well. So who knows? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and judge. It's hard to judge a, a, an MLB draft because it's just, 
it's a lot of mystery, probably more than any sport, to be honest. There's a lot of mystery that goes into baseball, a lot of things that can can change and uh, guys can become something that no one expected more probably than any other sport. Most guys coming into a draft that are drafted high or drafted period, we all kind of know who they are and the potential that they have. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping because I, I want him to keep his job as the GM and, uh, you know, uh, it is he's gonna he's gonna have to perform from here on. He's he's on thin ice for sure. All right. Uh what is your response uh Donnie Catch? What is your response to Stephen A. Smith's comments on Otani? Uh they were they were insanely res- irresponsible. Um, you know, there's been I've seen a lot of people talk and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stance of of letting people of color speak their minds about this and me taking a step back and listening as opposed to having the the front stance of it all and letting letting my opinion seem to matter more than others because I'm not the one that's affected by this type of statement. But what I will say is that I feel it's fair to call him out and call it xenophobic because it was. Yeah. It was very xenophobic of Stephen A. Smith. I think let me let me clarify. I don't know Stephen A. Smith at all. But from everything I've seen over the last 20 years of watching him in the sports landscape, I don't think he's a racist person. I don't think he's a xenophobe. I think what he said was racist, and I think it was xenophobic, but I think it was a significant error in judgment in how he was trying to articulate his thought because I don't think he was trying to come from a place of malice. I don't think he was being malicious with his intent. I think that he was just a very stupid, careless thing to say, mm-hmm. and it only hurt his legacy as a sports uh, a sports personality, and it really, really pissed off the Asian community because Shohei Otani is the type of star that baseball and, quite frankly, America needs. Jeff Passan from Kansas City, no, no less, was on First Take a few days ago and talked to Stephen A. directly and talked about why we should be doing the opposite with Shohei Otani instead of sitting here talking about why it's negative that he needs an interpreter, which, by the way, Shohei doesn't need an interpreter. He actually speaks fluent English and fluent Spanish. He just wants to make sure that he's articulating his thought and response the proper way. Yes, not being lost in translation and saying something controversial like Stephen A. did. So Jeff Pass went on there and, and, and spoke about how we should be doing the opposite of what Stephen A. Smith did to Stephen A. Smith's face, which was great, by the way, and talked about how these are the type of guys and athletes we should be embracing because they are super marketable, not just to America because we're so arrogant here. We think we're the only thing that matters when we forget that the Asian community is a whole billion plus people where they have people that are paying attention to our sports too. And for to take it a step further, how about all the guys in pro sports that are Americans that said a bunch of things, but never really talked. Mm-hmm. How about Kawhi Leonard for one? How about Derek Jeter for another two of the most prolific superstar athletes we've had in modern sports in America. And neither one really say anything. Even though they say words, they don't really talk. So it, to me, it is the equivalent of having a man who's a superstar talent like him, who is the better version of what Babe Ruth was, going out here and having a translator. Because at the end of the day, who gives a flying fuck? Because if you actually listen to Stephen A. Smith with his diatribes, you might need a translator for some of the words he uses because some of those words sound fucking made up. Yeah. So how about that? How about we yeah. start having a translator for some of the stupid-ass words and jargons that, that Stephen A. Smith uses on his little rants because that, to me, is equivalent to what he said about Shohei Otani. See how unfair that sounds? Mm-hmm. That's equally as unfair. So Stephen A. Smith needs to take a significant step back and forget this is the problem. And I'm, I'm sorry, Trevor. I'm, going, I'm kind of railing off here. Okay. This is the problem. With people like Stephen A. Smith, I don't mean like just any. And, and He's on just, a pedestal. He's untouchable. What happens is some of these people get so caught up in the 
the character they become, then they forget that at the end of the day, they have a responsibility to be an accurate and honest journalist. He lives in a different reality. Yes. Than most of us and I think that the money, I think that the fame, I think that all these things get to them to where they have to lean into it oh, so yeah. strong. They forget about the essence of what the job actually is from its core. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Stephen A. Smith is. And I really hope he takes a massive step back because he's been getting dragged and he should, he's been getting body bagged and he deserves every bit of it because Shohei Otani deserves nothing but respect, reverence, and support from us as fans and people that consume sports because he's done nothing but give us great and positive uh, performances, production, and all class as a person. He's the most humble superstar, I think, in sports right now, and he should be praised for who he is. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely xenophobic, whether intentional or non-intentional, um, and he absolutely put his own foot in his mouth. Um, what happened when Jackie Robinson took over the MLB? He, be, he became the, the face of the league. He became the most talented player at that time. He was a black man when it was very, very controversial for black athletes to even be a thing. Uh, there was numerous newspapers and, and white folks out there talking about, we don't, how are we going to allow some N-word to, to be the face of our sport? I'm not saying that's along the same lines, but it's, it's, in this, it's within the same tone. You can't, you can't do that, man. You just can't. And what makes this country beautiful is that it's a melting pot. It is a is a it is a organically grown culture, you know, melded and, and melted together from multi different cultures that became a subset of many different cultures. That's what makes this country great. That's what makes this country unique. Granted, the pros and cons of this country, it is what it is. But Stephen A. Smith absolutely missed on this one, man. He spoke way too soon. He spoke way too impulsively, in my mind. Granted, I love Stephen A. Smith. He's 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 been very outspoken about a lot of things that, I, and he's pretty much fearless and untouchable in, the, in, in his realm of his world. Um, but yeah, this was definitely a miss. I uh, didn't like what he had to say. Um, it does not matter what race or what language these people speak if they're great at the sport and they become one of the faces of the sport. I, it does not matter. That that should not that should not matter at all. We've seen we're seeing the rise of Luka Doncic. These all these guys, other guys that are not from here that are becoming faces of these leagues that we love so much and so dearly. We've seen guys like Yao Ming and become superstars in, 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 in you know sports and guys from different countries. We've seen you know uh, Dikembe Mutombo's and guys that didn't speak the best language or were not well spoken guys be big parts of the sport. You know, I, I just I just think that was a very he was very caught up in the moment and thought he had some good hot take that just fell extremely flat. So that was definitely an L for him, no doubt. All right, Donnie Couch, do you think DeAndre Ayton is DeAndre Ayton is a top five big man in the NBA? I think he's getting there. Um, it's it's tough to say because there's a lot of really good big men. See, the, the definition of big men in the, today's NBA is much different than it was back when we were kids. Yeah. Back in the day, you were thinking of Patrick Ewing and Shaq, guys that were just posted up on the block and would just back down their opponent. No, now it's guys that can guard 25 feet out, shoot threes. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, I will say this, is one of the more reliable guys when it comes to just consistently producing. He's going to give you 15 to 20 and then 10 to 12 rebounds a night. That is what you need, especially on a young team like the Suns. He fits that team so perfectly. Um, I don't think there's any excuse, though, that they picked him over Luka Doncic in the draft, but I, that's just me. But nevertheless, I think I think DeAndre Ayton has been everything the Suns need as a big man. I don't think he's a top-five big man yet, but my God, if he plays like this for any length of time after this season's over, he is 100% on his way to being one of the best big men in the league. As much as I like his talent, no, he's not top-five, and I don't, I don't know if he's top-eight or nine, maybe ten. I, I think he's very much so benefiting off of the the leadership uh, and, and talent, the leadership of Chris Paul and the talent of Devin Booker. I think he, I think he can play pretty much free, and he's a very traditional big. He's not very skilled. He's a very high effort guy, great rebounder, great uh, athlete in general. Um, him coming out of the U of A, I knew he was a great athlete. 
I think he's by far the most improved big man in the league over the last couple of seasons. He's definitely taken massive leap from last year. Um, but again, I think that's a massive because he even came out talking about him and Chris Paul would go at it in practice. I think he's become. A, I think Chris Paul's made him into a man. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a massive. I think the leap of his game is because of Chris Paul's uh, uh, leadership and ability to to lead men. I think Chris Paul's just that guy. He's, everywhere he's gone, he's made every most players better, uh, and I think that was huge for him. And I think he's definitely on his way. But I don't think he's ever going to be a top five big in this league ever. I just don't think he has the skill set of the Embiid's, of the Jokic's, of these guys that are very multifaceted as far as skill. I don't think he's going to be ever going to be like a great passer, a good shooter. He's very traditional. But the guys like that are needed, and I think he's going to be a very good player for a long period of time regarding his health, or uh, d- depending on his health, because he has had some health issues already and early in his career. But I think he's by far the most improved. I mean, he took a massive leap this year, and I'm very proud of him as an individual player. Tony Couch, uh, how excited are you guys for football season? Oh, dude, I mean, I can't even stand up right now. I need ice. Trevor, can you bring back a bag, bag of ice right now? Because I best can do is garlic sauce. <laughs> that you dropped on your shoe earlier. Shit, so, man. No, I'm very excited, Donnie. And uh, I hope everybody is, man, because if you're a Chiefs fan, you have a lot of reasons to be excited, man. It's going to be a fun NFL season. And we get full-capacity crowds again, man, at least in most stadiums, which I cannot wait for to hear. Arrowhead was 78-plus thousand people strong. It's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, I can't wait to go to games, man. First and foremost, I cannot wait to experience that that atmosphere again. Um, I, I miss the smells. I just miss the noises. I miss, I miss everything. Your scent. Yeah, I miss your musk. Uh, yeah, everything, man. I'm, I'm so yeah. I I just can't wait. To, I can't wait to host games in our living room. I can't wait to. I just all the sight, the sights and the sounds. It's everything. It's such a dry part of the year when football's not around, man. Even when OTAs gets here, I'm not stoked on life. Yeah, so I'm happy. I cannot <laughs> wait. Yeah, I cannot wait. Um. All right, next question comes from Billy Hodge. Hey, Mr. Wright and Trevor, what Chiefs rumors are you being ta- are, are being talked about? Chiefs rumors. Uh, I think that's the normal stuff right now. I think that they're obviously going to look to add some uh, veteran presence to the interior defensive line. Uh, I would love to see Justin Houston, maybe even a Melvin Ingram. I'd take both, hopefully both. That'd be awesome. Sure. We talked about that on Darren's show actually this last Sunday. About uh, I brought up the, the reference of uh, the movie Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. When he's in the diner with Ed Harris. And they're like, you want, you want peach cobble or you want blueberry? I want both. Like, give the man both. Yeah, give, give, <laughs> once Tyron Matthew gets his contract extension, they have $20 million to play with. That money's just going to sit there if you don't use it, so might as well use it on some veterans. Bring both Justin Houston and Melvin Ingram in. Yeah. That is not impossible, man. I know they both want money, and now they're going to both have leverage when, in fact, Frank Clark's going to ultimately get suspended. But the conversation has been there with Melvin Ingram, and they have a history with Justin Houston. That's two for two for me. So that's the, the rumors I'm looking at, and I think that obviously the inevitable is coming. Tyron Matthews is going to get his extension, and when he does, we're going to have a lot of money opened up for the Chiefs to utilize for this year and for years to come, and uh, he's going to be the landlord for years to come in the Chiefs because I think that his guy is just now in his prime as far as a, a well-rounded player. I think we're going to see the best years of Tyron Matthew over the next two seasons. So those are the guys. That's where I'm I'm generally looking at right now as far as rumors are concerned. But, man, things can flip in a matter of, of no time, man. So stay tuned, Billy. Yeah, outside of the uh, the last name of number 87's controversy, I think it, it's it's been – I've seen <laughs> I've seen some articles about Justin Houston – rumblings about that i know all that's fan made and, and you know everyone wants t- to make some kind of move regarding the the rumors with or not rumors but the uh the fact that is the situation with frank clark so uh yeah that's the only thing i've really been kind of seeing circulating outside of that things are quiet and i'm happy that it's quiet right now all right nothing else please shaggy shane with the second question uh let's all keep it real with the green bay packers with the ownership front office and gm and everyone involved with that team uh, with the team there is indeed a dark cloud hovering over lambeau field 
But let's look at uh, Aaron Rodgers himself. He sucked in the last two NFC Championship games. Six months ago, his Packers defense intercepts at, uh, Tom Brady three times in the second half of the NFC Championship game, and Rodgers responded by looking old, tired, and past his prime. In the NFC Championship game, 18, yeah, I'm saying 18 years ago, against San Francisco, Aaron Rodgers again looked old, tired, and past his prime. Or 2018, I think that's what he meant, 2018. Uh, question. Knowing that he will be 38 years old during this next season, do you sense that if Aaron Rodgers announces his retirement next week, that it could indeed be warranted after his consistent poor play on the biggest stage the last two seasons? I understand where Shaggy's trying to come from with this question about Aaron Rodgers coming up short in the last two NFC championships. But but I feel that I'm obligated to make a a very, very valid point here, one that's, I think, clear and obvious. The Packers aren't anywhere near the NFC Championship of the last two years if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers. Um, he, you bring up the the lack of performance in the last two NFC Championships. Well, in the 2019 NFC Championship against the 49ers, who were the most complete team in the NFL and probably the most complete team we've seen in probably a decade plus, um, he completed almost 80% of his passes, and he threw 39 times. So there was a lot of passes he completed – almost 80% of them. He had 326 yards, two touchdowns, did have two interceptions, but I do remember one of those being a deflected pass at the line of scrimmage, and he ended up with a 97 quarterback rating despite having an injury-laden uh, uh, offensive line in that game as well. So we have to kind of contextualize some of that in it as well. And then you look at the Buccaneers game, a team that matched up beautifully with the Packers this last season. Also, once again, for the consecutive second consecutive NFC Championship, uh, this time around, Aaron Rodgers actually lost his left tackle, all pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari, right. for that NFC Championship game. Uh, and in that game, he completed 69% of his passes, and he threw 48 times, had 346 yards, three touchdowns, one pick with a 102 quarterback rating. I, I'm sorry, he Shaggy. He wasn't given the opportunity at the end of the game. To yeah, take. I'm sorry, Shaggy. I can't get get down with this one on you, with you, man, because I, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers played bad in either one of these games. He sure as shit wasn't the reason why they lost these games. They faced better teams, and he had the injury. It's the same thing with against the Buccaneers that the Chiefs faced in the exactly. Super Bowl, is that Patrick Mahomes was the better player than Tom Brady. The Chiefs, as a whole, with when, with healthy people, were the better team. You saw that in the majority of that game in Week 12 against the Bucs. The difference in the game in the Super Bowl from Week 12 was what? Health. The, the Bucs had more players available, their top-tier players available, just like with the Packers against the Bucs, just like against the 49ers with the Packers two years ago. So I, I'm not going to get down with this. To answer your last question, though, about the retirement, it wouldn't shock me. I think, it's, I think there is a better chance that Aaron Rodgers steps away from the game than plays for the Packers. I'm going to stand firm on that. I don't think he plays for the Packers again. I'm going to say that once more in time. I don't think Aaron Rodgers plays another game for the Packers because he has stood firm on his stance this entire offseason. They haven't done what he's wanted to do. They went and drafted a quarterback against his will. I think there's a lot of things that he's not. He's very much opposed to still. He's a strong-willed guy. I don't think he plays for them again. So if I had to choose between him playing now, playing for the Packers again or retirement, I'm going with door number two, and he pulls a Carson Palmer. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't have too much to add to that as far as his performances in the game. I think you hit those pretty well. I think if you lose your most important piece offensively outside of the quarterback itself, the left tackle, that's huge. And we saw that. If we're going to keep that same, we got to keep that same energy with Pat, Patrick Mahomes and too, because Patrick Mahomes didn't perform well. Why? Because he lost his most important piece on the offense. You know, you lose your left tackle, and a, and the Packers is more impactful even more because Bakhtiari is 
maybe the best in the league. You know, so you lose a guy to that of that caliber and again going against that defense that won the Super Bowl pretty much because of that defense and how damn good it was. I mean, we saw how they were hunting down Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Aaron Rodgers being that much more older than Patrick Mahomes and having to try to overcome that. That's a lot to ask for, man. And he still performed fairly well compared to the, the situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think Aaron Rodgers very well could definitely uh, retire. And I think I think Aaron Rodgers is going to do what's best for him. And I think if, if retirement is is that, then, it, then that's what it's going to be, man. All right, one last uh, question. I don't know if it's a comment or a question. I think it's a question, but why would Rodgers come back when he – when he's been gone, is that fair to Jordan Love, who who's been at uh, training camp? It doesn't matter if it's Fuck fair Jordan to Jordan Love. Love. Life isn't God. fair. No, li- life it isn't doesn't fair. matter. Was dude. it fair? Was it fair to Aaron Rodgers? He had right. to sit for three years behind Brett Favre. No, yeah. but fair doesn't matter in the NFL. Fair doesn't matter in life. So unfortunately, Jordan Love's just gonna have to suck it up. Aaron Rodgers comes back today. Jordan Love's back on the bench. Jordan Love was not active for a single game last season. Was that not? Was that unfair? He was a first round pick. Okay, so that doesn't matter. I I, I hate to shit on whoever whose question that was. I don't mean oh, to do shit, that. My bad. That was my fault. Who, whose question was it? Uh, give me a second. Uh, Samuel Walter. Okay, Samuel. Okay. I appreciate the question, man. But it does not matter. I think it's no matter who, what is best for the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers, clearly. So if they get him back, that's that's what's going to happen. It doesn't matter if it's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I voiced my opinion already. I just don't. I don't. Love has no say so. No, his feelings do not matter in this What's situation. What's love got? He was to do? he was drafted in, in in a random. They should have drafted a receiver. They should have drafted any kind of other skill player in that position. He was drafted in my mind, and I was. I remember we were watching the draft live on the show when we did that, and I was very upset because they did Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers dirty. Uh, it was. I mean, granted, this could very well be Love's team here soon, but as far as that situation goes, he's going to be in whichever situation it is, whether Aaron Rodgers comes back or not. If Aaron Rodgers comes back. He has no say so. If he becomes a starter just because of default, he has no really say so there either. He's going to be, it's whatever. The, it's the context does not revolve around love here. Love is just in the middle of it. Whatever happens, happens. And then, yeah, his, his feelings, let's leave that out of there. Whether, whatever's fair to who, it doesn't really matter. Thanks so much for the Monday mailbag, guys. Great, great, to- great topics, great questions. We cannot wait for you guys to do this next week. We have one more order of business, guys. What is it, Kyle? Hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> the who? The her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man! Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, pulsating oh L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant man. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this L. It is time to hold this L. What we do each and every week is we finish off each and every episode with some L's in the world of sports. Now, whether they're friendly or not friendly in the world of sports, we promise you that whoever is holding the L from us to them, those motherfuckers deserve it. So, Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo, 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 who is holding the L for you this week, and is it potentially F1? 
It is not F1. Sure. Is it Barcelona? It could be better, but it should be. But <laughs> Barth, no, Barcelona. I'm, I'm going to go with a W. Uh, two Ws, actually. Uh, so the first one is uh, I'm going to give it to uh, uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, why am I going to give him a W? Well, this past weekend, he conquered what he couldn't conquer the past, uh, I want to say, uh, 15, 16 years or whatever, since he was uh, a young boy. Uh, he finally won uh, Copa America. Uh, this only helped cement his legacy. Uh, obviously, he struggled to win anything with Argentina. Uh, he's taken to World Cup finals, but hasn't been able to win. Uh, obviously, uh, took him to back-to-back Copa America finals. They, they couldn't do it. And finally, on Saturday night, Leonel Messi officially uh, won a trophy with Argentina. The the joy that 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 ending brought to everybody, even, even if you're not Argentinian, just if you're a Messi fan, if you're a, a soccer fan, if you just love the sport, as soon as as soon as the ref blew the whistle, the the camera immediately panned to Messi. Like it, it, like as soon as the ref blew the whistle, like the camera just automatically was already on Messi, and then you see Messi just go to his knees, crumble, and start crying. Mm-hmm. Not one of his teammates celebrated until they got to him. They all ran towards Messi. That only tells you what kind of guy he is. What, what kind of energy Respect. he, what kind of energy he brings to that locker room. Uh, the fact that no player celebrated until they went and pretty much touched Messi. Yeah. They knew how much this meant to him. It's not how much it meant to Argentina or anything. They knew how much it meant to him. They they knew what he's been through to get to that moment. Uh, they knew his struggles. They Messi that, that that that's his. That was his team. That you can straight up tell. Uh, I am just so happy for him. Uh, he finally he finally won uh, a Copa America. Obviously, it's not a World Cup, but this is the oldest uh, soccer tournament in the world. Yeah. Uh, so it, it means a lot. Yeah. Uh, 2020, 2021, obviously wasn't, it hasn't been like the greatest of years. Obviously this, this, you can put like an asterisk or whatever on those championships or whatnot, but yeah, it, it was his time and he finally won and couldn't be happy for him. So for that reason, I'm going to give him a W. Nice. And my other W, I'm going to give it to Formula One. There you go. Uh, why am I giving them a W? Uh, just yesterday, they, they released uh, they released their uh, Formula One 2022 car. This is the first time in, in, I would say, over a decade since major changes have come to the sport, uh, major rule changes. Uh, the car is going to be completely different than what it is now. Uh, obviously, they... they Different tires. It's just completely different. Different body. Same kind of, I guess, same kind of style, but totally different concept. It's it's so exciting. Uh, and they also are implementing uh, salary cap, which is going to be hmm. fucking amazing. And this should uh, make competition a lot, the a, lot a, little bit. a lot better. Nice. Yes, because 
obviously you have those teams that can't put too, too much money into their car, like the Mercedes, uh, Mercedes, like the Ferraris, like the uh, Red Bulls. Hmm. Those three put over six hundred million in their cars. That's insane amount of money. And other 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 uh, constructors can't even put over a hundred million in their cars. They just can't afford it. It's just too expensive. Yeah. So obviously their car is going to be super slow, and then you can tell when it's race day. Uh, those cars immediately get overlapped real easily. So salary cap is going to come in, uh, and this includes upgrades throughout the season. So if you're thinking about bringing upgrades into your car. They're going to be inside that salary cap, and it's set at $140 million. Hmm. So you're going to have to spend at least $100 million on your car to begin the season, and that's going to leave you with $40 million to uh, do upgrades throughout the season. These cars are not cheap. <laughs> they're going to run through that money like it's crazy. So it's going to be interesting to see like what how they're going to attack this, how, how teams are going to come up with solutions to get speed, to get you know this and that. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, this should level the field drastically. Yeah, the cars are improved to to follow closer to other cars. Uh, if you get that dirty air, you're not going to ha- be uh, uh, affected uh, by it as much. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So for that reason, Formula One's also getting the W. So hell yeah, up, Trevor Twibble, who's holding nail for you this week? I'm just going to get right to the point. I hate when sports, especially um, championship level games. Uh, NBA Finals games are dictated uh, by officially by officiating. Um, for those of you that did watch this past uh, Finals game between the Bucks and the and the Suns, uh, it was very very competitive game, very back and forth, very tight, pretty much the entirety of the game until the last couple minutes, uh, until the Bucks pulled away. Luckily, the Bucks pulled away because there was things working not in their favor. Um, if, for those of you watching, the majority of the fourth, uh, Booker, Devin Booker set up a lot of the fourth because for, I think, about eight minutes, eight or nine minutes of the fourth quarter, he was out because he was carrying five uh, – uh, he had three early fouls within the first half and then got a couple uh, uh, in the third. So he was carrying five fouls heading into the fourth quarter. Um, so what you have watched, he sat most of. Um, and then Devin Booker, after he had come back in, I believe with like four and a half, five minutes left in the game – or no, it was about six minutes left in the game – uh, you know he's playing well. He he immediately got got to work on the offense, hit a couple big shots, doing his mid range game. You know brought the Suns back in it. You know gain it, get it some juice. Um, and then uh, Chris Paul had uh, lost the ball. Got the I don't think this was the same play, but the 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 Bucks had stolen the ball. I can't remember if it was the same play or not. Either, either way, it doesn't matter. The Bucks had gotten the ball, had a breakaway uh, breakaway play, full court breakaway play, and Drew Holiday was uh, breaking away, get going to on his way to get a wide open layup, uh, coast to coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in that same play, as he was winding up to finish that layup, Devin Booker, knowing or unknowingly, remember knowing or remembering or not remembering, he had five fouls or not intentionally fouls. Drew Holiday, and they don't get the call. <laughs> literally, if you if you go watch it, he literally wraps Drew Holiday up midair, intentionally fouling him like like you like a traditional intentional foul. You don't let him get the ball up in the air. You wrap him up. You 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 wrap both your arms over both his shoulders. It was literally an intentional foul on book from Booker. No call. I haven't seen anything like that in a while, and it, and it immediately gives me PTSD because I'm a Sacramento Kings fan from the early 2000, 2004, 2005 season. When my my Kings were screwed out of that series, when they were going to beat those that Shaq and Kobe Lakers, I, it gives me just bad feels every single time when I see stuff like that. That's so blatant. 
They did everything they could to keep Booker. Granted, it's better for the game when Booker's in there. Granted, no doubt. I'm not going to argue that. But I cannot stand for officiating that blatantly does not that swallows their whistle when a, an intentional foul brain fart on Devin Booker's end would have got himself out of the game. They just swallow their whistle on that. Granted, luckily enough for the Bucks, because those fans were already heated as it was. There was a lot of bad calls in that game as it was. Those fans were on it the entire night. Luckily, Giannis was right there to clean up that play and put it right back right back in for an easy two. But if the Suns won that game and they didn't call that on Devin Booker, oh my God, social media would be in it. Because those Bucks fans are, granted, say what you want about Milwaukee, that is a great fan base, especially since the Giannis era has been uh, implemented and Giannis has been there. That fan base is on it, man. That's a great home team, a great home environment for the NBA. And that, it sounded like, it sounded like uh, uh, Allen Fieldhouse out there the other night. So, yeah, I just can't, can't stand for that, man. I cannot stand for officiating that was blatantly knowing what they're doing. You had to intentionally swallow that whistle because it was an intentional foul, a, an everyday intentional foul in the NBA, especially in the postseason, the finals. You can't not call that call. His ass should have been out of the game, regardless of what you feel about him, regardless if you think he's better for the game or not, which he is. He should have been out of that game. That should have been his sixth and final foul. Luckily, the Bucs won that game and finished it. Either way, the NBA officials are going to have to do me a favor and – Hold this L. That was ridiculous. Thanks for, thanks for the help out there, Eddie. Hold this L. He's over there, yeah, looking at his uh, his F1. You guys know how much I absolutely despised. I mean, the the last dance was incredible. The documentary was unbelievable. He's okay. But the the thing I hated the most was when they exposed well, – I didn't hate it. I loved it, but I hated the story of what actually did happen when they talked about the flu game and what it actually ended up being a pizza game. Uh, he got food oh. poisoning or whether he partied. We didn't have social media back then, so we couldn't really follow it. But now when you try to mythicize a star player – in today's world, it's a lot more difficult because you have more people paying attention on social media or the facts just are more flowing than they were back then. And we got a report yesterday, unfortunately, that according to several uh, sources, Tom Brady played the entire 2020 season with a torn MCL. And according to the reports, he suffered the injury during his final year with the Patriots and had surgery after winning a Super Bowl with the Bucs. And everyone's sitting here just, oh, my God, this is so fantastic. How tough of a guy. This is why he's the GOAT. Man, Oh, this just shows his toughness. See, this is the beautiful thing about having Google and being in the Google era is that if you have something that you're curious about, you want to research something, you can do it. And it's all out there at your fingertips. So although I already knew the answer to this, I went and searched it for myself. And according to verywealth.com, and I highly recommend you all check this out. I posted it to the Spoken group on Facebook and on my personal Twitter page, at Lance the Spoken. According to verywealth.com, a grade three MCL tear is the worst. It's a complete tear. That's the worst tear you can suffer. And it takes at most three months to heal. The NFL season is five months long. If Tom Brady suffered this injury in the 2019 season, how in the living fuck did he play all of the 2020 season with that injury when it takes at most three months to heal, especially when you consider the fact that the NFL offseason is five months long? So let's say he suffered it in the Titans game when they lost in the first round. 
he would have been fully healthy before training camp. So how in the world did he play the entire season without anyone knowing or that not being healed? So how can he be both Superman and Mr. Glass at the same time? It doesn't make sense. It didn't happen. Do I think he did suffer an MCL tear at some point? Yeah. You could see he was wearing the, he's already suffered an ACL tear back in the day. So I understand his knee probably has some issues. He probably got some arthritis in it. He's had it cleaned up. We do confirm that in the surgery that he just had a couple months ago. But if you're really trying to sit here and sell me an injury that doesn't add up math-wise, I'm going to have to give you a letter. And do me a solid, Mr. Brady, and your bullshit mythicism. This may have worked in the 90s. Do me a solid and hold this at MCL. <laughs> That's a trash. That's a trash I'm word. not in the show on an L, though, because Brady ain't getting the last curtain call. I'm actually ending this show on a W, and I'm giving it to us here at the Spoken Podcast. And you guys might be wondering. I haven't talked to Trevor Orietti about this. Do you guys know that it has now been officially over two years now that we have not missed an episode? It has been since the end of June of 2019 that we haven't missed an episode here. Every single weekend, we have posted a show. We don't gloat very much here because we got a long way to go. We got a lot of growth to still do. We're about to get our live streaming back. We're about to really make some things. We've had some hurdles to overcome, and I'm not going to go into detail, but we've had some stuff to overcome over the last several months. Hmm. We've had a lot of promises that were brought to us that we didn't end up getting, and we kept working. We kept grinding. And this show continues to put out quality content. You know, people thank me for what I do. No, this show is not shit without you guys. I say that confidently. I would not want to do this show if I didn't have Eddie, if I didn't have Trevor here, if I didn't have Clay Windler, the best producer no in the doubt. fucking business, out, man. Clay. If he wasn't Shout doing what if we didn't have the supporters, I don't know. I, I, you know, you guys, we don't pander to you guys. We tell you the truth. I've always told you guys what I always want to do on this show and in my own personal time, whatever content I provide, whatever content we provide here, it's going to be honest. It's going to be authentic, and that is what we give you. How we talk on the show is how we talk off air, and we have not stopped giving you guys. Has it been rough at times? Has there been weekends where we wanted to stop or we didn't want to do it that week? Yes, that's life. Or during COVID, there was nothing to talk about. There was nothing to talk. We had to literally (laughs) sit here and figure out what we were going to talk about. Yeah. There were times when you guys got COVID, we had to sit here and separate the show and have Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. But we pulled through, and we have not missed a fucking episode in two-plus years. And for that, I want to say thank you to both you guys. Thank you to Clay Winler, and thank you to all the listeners for making this shit fun, man, even when it hasn't been. That's what keeps me doing this, man. That's what keeps us doing this, and it is us until the end, man. So I want to thank you guys. I want to give a W to the Spoken Podcast, to everybody that is a part of this, man, because it means everything to me. This is, and at times, I'm going to be totally transparent here. There have been times where this is one of the few things that have kept me going in my life. Yeah, for sure. Straight up. It has not always been fun. Sometimes I've really had to pull through some episodes. But at every, at the end of every single episode we've ever done here, I've always felt a sense of fulfillment. So that is my Dr. Phil moment. <laughs> For the week. And <laughs> next week, when we have another episode, because we're going to keep this streak alive, motherfuckers. We're going for you, Cal Ripken. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Until that happens, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for Clay Winler, for all you motherfuckers that make this thing fun, I'm Lance Twidwell. Episode 125 is done. It's finished. It's finito. And until 126 rears his ugly head around the corner, we out of this bitch. See you later.
We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned into the spoken. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.